Live from Chicago, it's Saturday morning. It's the Murph and Fred Show. Starring Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, and featuring Eric Ostrowski. Now here's your host, Murph and Fred. Hey, busy day. Glad you're with us. Good morning. Mike Murphy here, Fred Hubner there, and... uh Let's see now, uh, five in a row, I have six out of eight, uh, trending. Yeah. The Cubs and Sox are trending, Fred. Yeah, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be a good thing. Winning baseball games, always a good thing. Uh-huh. Sox are doing it, the Cubs trying. They've dropped two straight series and uh, got off to a bad start Ooh. last night. Ooh. Thank goodness for the bat of you, Darvish. Who? Yeah. You? Otherwise, uh, otherwise they don't score a run yesterday. Yeah, how's that? Uh, your only uh, ribeye, as yeah. uh, Joe Madden calls our I mean, your only ribeye is from your uh, pitcher, his second career ribeye. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, the bats need to come to life a little yeah. bit. And uh, we've been talking about it for uh, only about yeah. two months that uh, the, the hitting's more important well, than the pitching. Well, but, we'll find out. Know. People uh, seem to vote uh, Apple me because Every uh, time. I'm out of step Charlie. Uh, so, Fred, let's look at the trending. The uh, Cubs have lost six out of eight. Uh-huh. No one's phrasing it that way. I'm looking, I'm reading, I'm a Jesse will be with us uh, at 10 o'clock. White Sox talk uh, with our uh, buddy Scott Merkin uh, at 11 o'clock. So the uh, Cubs have lost six out of eight, but, uh, I don't know, quietly, uh, the White Sox have a five-game winning streak, huh? Yep, yep they sure do. And, uh, well, they beat Kansas City three times and two of them in one day. When you get a suspended huh. game and they then the regularly count. scheduled game, they and uh, and then and, you know you get a you get a chance to um, yesterday, people that are watching you they see Dylan Covey give up a home run to friend uh, to Lindor to lead yeah. off the game, and you go, oh, this is, <laughs> this is not going to work out. Well, that was the only run Cleveland scored. That was right after uh, Stoney said, "Well, you got to keep the ball in the ballpark and keep it down." Yeah, up, boom, right. out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't good. predict a he didn't predict a homer. No, Stoney. no, he he didn't. Uh, but and the White Sox scored six runs without a homer yeah. yesterday. Uh, Len Len tried to make a prediction. I don't know. I'm, no, I'm, I had them both on. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, Len said, "You know what? This uh, fastball here. I forget who was batting for them. You know, it's got would have home run written all over it. Then there's a ground ball to second. <laughs> and he says something. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not. Well, you know what? Just okay." You made a prediction that right. was wrong. Then don't do the, uh, well, you know what? You can't be right all the time. No, Jimmy Deshays is pretty good. He made a couple of Jimmy's yesterday. Jimmy's good. Yeah, he made a couple, especially with pitching and things like that. So He's lost under the radar because of Stoney. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he, he's very, very good mm-hmm. on the predictions. Uh, it would be nice if they were able to predict a few runs. <laughs> that would be a good thing. We'll break down the Cub game, the Sox game, Jesse Cubs at 10. And uh, we will have... Uh, Scott Merkin. Thank you, Scott yeah. Merkin, at uh, 11, of course. Fred, we're going to have a new segment uh, in a little while. Uh, I have two possible titles for it, all okay. right? You know, the first one's a little wordy, so maybe I'll uh, make it more snappy. Here, The first uh, is, uh, <clears throat> I have revisited and reevaluated my position and have augmented my stance. <laughs> okay. Or, I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong is a lot easier. Yeah, okay, we'll just go with I was wrong. Yeah. All right. We'll do that in a little while. Breaking news. But uh, Joe Madden, not happy after the game, and he was very careful not to say that he wants what I think everybody wants, which is the, uh, you can call it robo-ump. Well, most any smart baseball fan would like a uh, 
with like uh, the automatic balls and strikes called. Yeah. Yeah. Buddy of Mike. Otherwise, take the damn uh, K zone off the screen. That's, so now that's a great point. Yeah. If, you're not, if you're not going to do that, eliminate the K zone yeah. so we can't see that the umpires are wrong. <laughs> yeah, what could be more simple? Yeah, very easy. And you know, by raising that point, you, you bring up that this all began with the K zone. Yes, it did. The, those home plate umps had a great deal going uh-huh. for about 100 years. Yep. Strike one, ball two. And then all of a sudden, that damn K-Zone yep. came on about, what, maybe five, ten years? I don't know. And some different networks, outlets were slower to pick up on it. Yep. I always had a feeling that one of the, uh, the uh, MLB, uh, like the Sunday, not currently, but years ago, and the one network didn't put it on. Okay. And I thought that the, the commissioner maybe was saying, hey, you're our network. Don't put it on because we look bad. But now it's all because of the K-Zone. Yeah. Now, did it affect the game? Well, you know, that's that's a topic that I don't know we want to get into because that's been sports talk radio for 30 years, 20 how old, how old is sports talk radio? One of the first topics was, you know, when an umpire make, blows a call, does it really affect the game? Well, yeah, well, no, you had other chance. So we're not going to do that. But Joe Madden had some thoughts. And, uh, well, his main idea was, I don't want it to to hurt the kid, meaning Dylan Maples. Yep. You know, uh, overnight. Uh, uh, well, here, here's Joe after the game. After Laz Diaz, home plate umpire. By the way, Fred, do you remember that guy coming on with you and me? Last Diaz? About 10, about back in no. the ni- late 90s. Yeah, I don't ever remember talking I, to Last Diaz. Well, maybe maybe you and I weren't doing yeah. that show that day, but we called him at the hotel. Okay. He had made a terrible call at Wrigley Field. This is, this is 18, 19 years ago. Uh-huh. He was a rookie. Okay. And he actually picked up the phone and the, what they used to call that. The uh, guys like Jesse dial the dial a date or uh, a r- r- hotel roulette. Hotel roulette. Yeah. <laughs> dial a date. Yeah. Hotel roulette. Right. And I don't know that they had rules back then for like the umpires. Maybe they still did. They have pool reporter gets a t- you know all right. that. But he picked up the phone and, and you know giving him the what for a little. What are you doing? Oh, I was right. So this guy's had a uh, history for about eighteen, nineteen years of not being uh, you know hmm, how would you say it good. Uh huh. But. So two key calls in the bottom of the tent. That'd be the last inning in a ten inning ball game. And uh, well, here's Joe. Uh, the fact that he would uh, be placed in that situation after he had clearly struck Bader out, uh, which would have totally turned into a different uh, moment for him against it. I totally believe that. Uh, that's that's the kind of thing that bumps me out. Of course, listen, we were not good offensively, granted, uh, but. You have pitches like that taken away in a crucial moment. Now my guy's got to go home and feel bad about himself tonight, which I don't like whatsoever. And it wasn't even a borderline pitch. It was, it was a strike. So uh, that's the kind of stuff you want to see something done about. And I'm still not advocating electronic strikes on I'm just advocating, let's go. Let's go. You cannot miss that pitch in that situation. And um, thus, I mean, like I said, there's a guy that's ascending to the major leagues as a relief pitcher, doing a wonderful job, does his job, and does not get rewarded for it. That's what kind of uh, pisses me off, quite frankly. So that's Joe after the game. Uh, no, the only, yeah, the only mistake. NBC, anybody courtesy there, uh, Eric? We uh... press conferences are free to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Joe. Joe. Joe's biggest mistake is not advocating the uh, computerized strike zone. Just go on out and say it. Well, you can, a, Joe, you got enough money. You can get fined. It's not a big deal. It's against every bit of his fiber. You yeah. know, he's old school guy and uh, not old school. Let me rephrase it. No, not many old so, school guys play four guys on one side of the infield. There's certain <laughs> things he stands by. 
<laughs> and no one had ever seen that. Yeah. Uh, five infielders <laughs> for the Cubs. But usually it's uh, a guy at third, a guy at short, a guy standing like in 16 in softball. Right, short center field. Near second. Yeah, right out of there. near second base. Yeah. And then two more. So there was the third baseman. And then, uh, let's see, I jotted it down. It was crazy out there. Right, but I mean. Contreras at third. And then there was uh, Baez near the bag on the first base side. And then Bodie. And then Bryant. And then Rizzo. Four guys lined up. And uh, it, it looked like a uh, you know football of uh, a pattern, uh, well, bubble, they, yeah, bubble they screen. They didn't have much to do when Carpenter hits the ball the completely other way into the left field corner. Well, that yes, exactly. Now that could have been because of Laz Diaz in this sense. So it's base, it's bases loaded, and the uh, infield uh, all messed up uh, like like we're talking about. And the first pitch to the left-handed batter uh, Carpenter, thanks from Cishek, is. On the K zone, yep. strike on the inside corner, uh, more inside the line than outside the line. And that's where the pitch should be, hoping with the sinker, the two-seamer, he's going to hit a ground ball to the right side. That was called ball one. Yeah. Now, if you're C-Shack, does that bother you? much? shouldn't. You're a veteran. But you think, well, I better let it leak in a little bit more because I don't want to get behind 2-0 with right. the same pitch. Right. Well, it leaked in too much near the middle of the plate, which allowed Carpenter then to go oppo, drive it down the left field line, two outfielders, which, of course, then it drops. It was deep enough for a sack flave, and it sure was, was caught. Yeah. But it wasn't where he wanted to throw the pitch. No, nope, not at all. But like I said, I mean, you know, managers have to realize you're going to complain about balls and strikes. The way to correct it is getting the, the computerized strike yeah, zone. That's no, the only way to do it. All, one more person, if I hear one more person say human error, Human error is for the players, not for the arbiters of the game. And it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard people say, and they'll continue to say, well, you know, human error is part of the game. No, no. Human error for the players. Well, like last night, Yohan Moncada, it's a a pop-up over the third baseman's head, doesn't run, Uh, and gets a single where he's he's bailed out by Charlie Tilson getting a double down the left field line, scoring two runs. There was a wild pitch in there. Moncada moved to third eventually. Should have been scoring on that play. But he got bailed out. Yeah. So that's human error when a player makes a mistake. Not when an umpire makes a mistake. When an umpire makes a mistake, that's correctable. And that's why they have instant replay. That's why they should have the the uh, the computerized strike zone. Yeah. He hits a pop-up uh, sort of behind third and short into like a Bermuda Triangle. But yeah. short left field. He figures it's a can of corn for either the shortstop or whoever's. And then the camera, they had a great angle on the replay, which is what you're talking about. Zoomed right in on him, and he looked at it, trotted about two-thirds of the way down the line. The ball drops, and he's standing there on first base. Then great camera work right onto uh, Ricky Renteria, and he kept the stoic face. You know, he's not going to be... And I was surprised because Steve Stone usually mm-hmm. says at that point he should be standing on second. He didn't say it last night. and So I tweeted it out immediately. He should have been standing on second. There was no doubt about it. If I recall what they did say, and I don't know if it was Stoney or the sidekick, was uh, those are things we used to see a lot in Renteria's first year, which is true. Remember the five uh, different episodes where he yeah. benched the guy in-game or the next day and that has tempered down tremendously. Where you again, you don't see that much anymore with the White Sox. But yeah. that was uncalled for. It was terrible. So let's take a look at the standings. The White Sox, if you blinked, or if you uh, went to sleep on this, I don't mean last night, but in general, 
And the White Sox tied for second place. Yep. Now, they're still quite a bit back from Minnesota. But well, going into the season, if you would have told people uh-huh. that on June 1st, the White Sox yeah. would be tied with Cleveland, you would have figured it would be for first place. True. Nobody <laughs> thought Minnesota was going to have a ten-and-a-half game lead. Mm-hmm. They're 20 games over five hundred. the Twins are. So the Sox and Cleveland, uh, identical records, 28 and 29. They're both ten-and-a-half back. In second place. But, Fred, the wild card is the more interesting uh, item here. Uh, I'm sure you looked at that. Uh, yeah. The White Sox, one game out. If the season were to end tomorrow, uh, the Sox would be uh, able to perhaps be the second wild card if everything went right. Sox are one game out of the second wild card. Yeah, behind the Red Sox, the Rangers, and the A's. Yeah, so there's three teams right. a game in front of them, and they're tied with the Indians, who can also say... We are one game out of the second wild card. Right. But nevertheless, like you said, one game under 500, I think, is more the story. Right yeah. for the White Sox? Yeah. Well, your their goal, you know, if you're watching a team, you can't really get excited about a team until they get to the 500 mark. And usually every time you get within a game or two, uh, so they go on a two- or three-game losing streak. Well, they've won five in a row. The odds are you're going to lose eventually. But maybe they'll win today. Afternoon game, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe they'll win today. Uh, Ivan Nova on the hill, and they can get to the 500 mark. That would be nice. We're going to set up a few Twitter poll questions. Okay. But Fred, this is on one of my sticky notes here, and it, it fell on the floor. Uh-huh. It was like the most important stick. I just found it for when we... Uh, let's uh, let's bring in Eric Ostrowski. E-11. Morning, What's up? You stepped out in your intro. I'm sorry. I did. Eric, the, uh, we have seven Twitter poll questions here today. Usually, uh, you know, I sort of work on these. I'm going to ask you, which one uh, do you want to lay out first for the listeners? Uh, uh, I believe they're all good. Of course, well, I, you did them. Well, yeah, thank so you, of course thank you. you're going to think that. Uh, <laughs> which of these tickled your, uh, like you were sitting on a feather uh, this morning when you entered all these? Uh, any of these give you a little, like, oh, that's a good one, Murph. Please say at least one of the seven. One of them that tickled me like sitting on a feather. Well, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, honestly, I like the very first one, Murph, because oh. I'm curious on what fans think about the legality of All it. All right, good. Uh, by the way, I stole that uh, from uh, Jay Hood about 25 years ago. He used to do the sitting on the feather. Okay. Okay. <laughs> In case Jonathan, you're listening, hey, Murph, that's mine. Come on, give me some credit. Or maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't want credit for that one, right? So vote now at ESPN 1000. Yes or no? What could be simpler, right? Should MLB teams be legally responsible for fans' injuries suffered by foul balls? All right? We'll get into that more in depth. We got some new angles. We're not going to rehash, retread, replow the old cornfield here. We have some new stuff. We will get to that between now and noon, but... Vote right now. Should MLB teams be legally responsible for fans' injuries suffered by foul balls? And number two, true or false, most foul ball injuries are due to fans not paying attention. No, those people are looking at the phone. You know, they encourage you now up on the big screen with all the interactive and do this and here's that. You know, it's not the fans' fault. Well... Most foul ball injuries, true or false, are due to fans not paying attention. All right. 
We'll get back to those in a little while. It's funny. I was at the uh, fire game last Saturday sitting with my buddy uh, Frank Clopas, longtime soccer guy here in town. And the game was starting, and people were walking around the concourse getting food and stuff like that. And the game was going on. Don't tell me someone got hit by a soccer no. ball and broke their orbit. He leaned back and looked at me because we were sitting up, we were standing up in the press box. And he said, this doesn't happen anywhere else, like in Europe. Once the game starts, the concession stands are empty because people came to watch the game. Hmm. He said, in this country, not so much. And you know what it's like that for yeah you know the NBA the second half of the NBA final game started the other night and when the game started all the seats behind the benches were empty because the people had gone to the concession stands they hadn't gotten back yet and the second half of the finals that they paid big money for those tickets they weren't back in their seats yet could it be you there, would think they'd figure things out could it well could it be there aren't enough people staffing the concession booths. Are there not enough? Well, it could be that people waited until halfway through t- halftime to go get something to eat or go to the bathroom. Sure, okay. Yeah, so, you know, if, you, if you're smart, you walk to the top of the top of the stands, the last pitch is made, the last shot is made at the end of the first half, you get to the bathroom, you get in the line. There's ways of doing things, and it's relatively simple. So not that specific uh, case, but it always amazes me. At not just ball games or football, basketball but it amazes me there'd be 30 people in line, you know, for a hot dog. Right. And you'd think you're Mr. Reinsdorf, you know. Mr. Wicks. You'd think Mr. Ricketts. You know, if you had a few more people staffing, or maybe there's no room. Maybe they just don't. They, you know, they have 50 different booths with, the, you know, this type well, of food, that things, type right. of food. A lot of so, people wanted a hot dog. They didn't want the pizza. They didn't want the uh, beef sandwich. They didn't want uh, something else. How many else? times, oh, Fred... Have you looked and there's you know ten people in line and you go you know if I could run up and get it I would right. buy it yeah instead of having to pass they don't ask us right they certainly don't ask me maybe no. they've asked you okay they don't ask me much anything which is their mistake is that because they they have in the past and they they no, don't like what you say no they've done their surveys their uh, surveys they've surveyed the people and the people tell them what they want mm-hmm. so I got my, I find my little sticky note my uh, okay. My uh, 3M post-it note. That'd be Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. Why are they making sticky notes? They didn't mean to. They didn't mean to. No. Look it up. Google it up. We can't explain everything. Right, Fred? Something to do, though, with the uh, church uh, choir. Uh, He was in the uh, choir, and uh, he had put... Paper clips on the uh, the uh, hymnal, and uh, he couldn't get to. But he worked at 3M, and uh, they had the glue that uh, was not sticky enough for anything. And they said, "Okay, so <clears throat> here's my note. So after the Cub game, right? And I stick around, and I want to see what uh, uh, the the guys are saying, yep. right? Doug Glanville and uh, uh, David DeJesus, and uh, Caparu had the day off, so they had a, whoever was sitting Yeah, congrats. Cap is at uh, Jordan Cornette's wedding down oh. in uh, Myrtle Beach, I think it is. So, cool. Yeah, so Jordan's getting married today, so congratulations. So I hate to say, you know, the first thing that he said, that, that would be uh, the first person that opens his, uh, you know, uh, yapper, because I'll just say one of the first things. Okay, but I'm pretty sure it was the first thing. So, so much happened in the Cub game. They left too many men on base, all right? <laughs> Darvish walked too many people, yeah. right? Uh, Laz Diaz may have affected the game, uh, whether uh, you know, it was mentally or whatever. may have affected the game. Uh, what was uh, 
What was Fowler thinking? You know, stepping up the bag. Uh, all these different topics, right? Uh, Hayward, by the way, the run that the uh, Cardinals scored on the sack fly. Right. Flat-footed. He was flat-footed in right field. He should have had a better shot to get the runner out at home. Right. And he comes in, then he has to drift back. He catches the ball with no forward motion. All these things, right? You know the first thing that David DeJesus says? Well, the, the Cubs need a closer. Now, let me just say something. <laughs> of course... They, any, they didn't have a lead, so that wouldn't have mattered. Oh, bingo. See, I yeah. mean, <laughs> and, you know, it took you, what, one second yeah. to decipher that. Right, of course, Fred. Now, you know what? You can never go wrong, I guess, with saying, the Cubs need a closer. But the 10th inning, okay, the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning, the Cubs' bullpen goes 9 up, 9 down. Ryan, the lefty, 3 up, 3 down in the 7th. Brock, 3 up, 3 down in the 8th. Kinsler, uh, 3 up, three, this is a 1 to 1 game. They're holding yeah. the tie. You know, Kinsler, one, uh, 3 up, 3 down in the ninth. Now, Fred, I mean, you couldn't be more correct. Now, uh, the Cubs go uh, out in the top of the tenth. Now it's the bottom of the tenth. What does David DeJesus think? You're going to bring in, you know, your closer. No, yeah, you're not one? bringing your closer in when you're tied, not on the road. So if you got Strope, if you signed someone, you got uh, no, I, Fred. You, I mean, you, you said this. Did have you been doing post game TV for five years no. now? Did you play in the big leagues for ten years? No. no. Oh well, then how would you know this? Number one, like you just said, you never, okay, you rarely, you rarely bring in your closer on the road, ninth inning, extra innings. When you're tied. If you don't have the lead. Right. And the only time you might do it, and you alluded to it, I think, is if maybe one, two, and three are leading off and you figure, well, you know what? I better get through this inning, otherwise they're going to score anyway and it's over. It'll be a walk-off, so maybe... If the one, two, three, or two, three, fours come at me, oh, you know what? I better bring in my ace closer and, uh, and then hope hope for the best. You know, we score in the eleventh. No, you know who was coming up? Uh, six, seven, and eight. Fowler. So it would never happen. Can someone explain to me why this guy is still doing that? Okay, that's all I'd like to. I don't think he's done it for that many years. But it's only been two or three. But seems but, like ten. But the other thing is, the Cubs used six clo- relievers yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems the Cubs have is, and it's not just Joe's problem; it's all the baseball. Is that for the most part they don't have guys go more than one inning. He had Ryan going inning, Brock going inning, Kinsler going inning. <clears throat> then at that point, you're getting too deep into your bullpen already. So you got to have some guys available when you're going into extra innings. Well, he had uh, uh, Chatwood. He had Chatwood in his hip pocket, who had not thrown since Saturday 12 then, pitches. Then so why had... didn't Chatwood go right after Darvish like he's done numerous, like, several times? He should have had Chatwood immediately after Darvish. Maybe he... They were all rested because they had the day know. off. That's good. The almighty day off. They finally came on Thursday. Now, Chatwood had not pitched since Saturday when he threw the 12-inning save. Oh, uh, by the way, my new segment, I was wrong. Uh-huh. Last Saturday was the first time I started uh, wavering. I said, Chatwood should never be a closer. Remember? Yeah. And then Saturday, I said, well, you know what? I said wavering. And all the time before that, I was wrong. Saturday, he comes in, 12 pitches, shuts him down, gets the save. 8-6 to six win over Cincinnati. Uh, that was a Darvish went into the eighth inning with the long uh, outing. Right. But... I have a new one for this week. I was wrong. But the only thing that Joe was probably thinking, 
What if this game does go 12, 13, 14? Well, he would have ran out of pitchers. Well, no, that's why he <laughs> held back Chatwood. Okay. I mean, you're right. a good point. Yeah. I'm just trying but to... But if you use Chatwood early and well, he goes two innings, then you have all these other guys. Ryan and Brock and Kinsler thing, and Montgomery maybe and Maples want, and Well, but you don't... See, the other thing, he wanted to pinch hit here for Brock. I, uh, what, no, I'm saying he wanted to pinch hit... He pinch hit... Uh, for Ryan. Yes, Kelso. Uh, well, he pinched Bodie for uh, the end of the uh, Darvish. But there's, there are reasons he could. I mean, you raise a good point. Just bring in Chatwood now. He's Because Jesse said he's going to double him up, you know, right. when Darvish. Okay, so we can ask Jesse about that. Bookended or whatever he yeah, called it. Yeah. yeah. You could do that. I mean, I mean, the, the guy throwing 103 miles an hour for St. Louis pitched two innings. Jordan Hicks went two innings, throwing 102 miles an hour. So well, this would also help if uh, your number one and number two hitters, Schwarber and Bryant, they're up in the tenth inning. There you go. So the, the top of the tenth, uh, Elmora strikes out. Then Descalso pinch hits one to one. Top of the he gets a walk, and then a wild pitch is on second base. Here comes Schwarber. Here comes Bryant. They make out. They're batting one and two. Uh, Schwarber zero for five, but he's been pretty good. Let's go to the phones. Uh, see what the fans have to say. Mark is in Michigan City. Hello, Marcus. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mike, and hey, Fred. How you doing? I, got, I think I got two answers to your questions. One question you had, Murph, on when Sports Talk Radio came in Chicago, I believe it was in the fall of 1970, Mr. Bill Berg over on WIND. For your question, Fred. Rick, uh, Rick, Fred. Rick Weaver, 1968 on uh, 78. But, yeah, number two, you're exactly right. And for your question, Fred, on when the start of the second half of that game in Toronto started, there was no one in those first few seats. They might have been out in the lobby getting Drake's autograph. That might have been. <laughs> they could and, have been. Uh, <laughs> and the last one on the strike zone, when, since they've been putting it on TV now for about 10 years or so. You, uh, of course, Murph, uh, back in 2000, uh, 1998, the Cubs were playing Atlanta in that five-game series. The first game was down in Atlanta. The Atlanta catcher, Javier, I forget his first name, he was holding his glove two inches outside the black, setting up. The umpire was straight right behind him. And Atlanta, I don't know if it was uh, Maddox pitching that night. Could have been all of them. They did it for Glavin. They did it for Maddox. They did it for Smoltz. They did it for Merker. They did it for everybody. It was disgusting. It was. And I don't think, was it Treble Horn was the Cubs manager then? And I don't think he instructed his guys to do that, but the Cubs should have went out there the next inning, held their gloves two inches off the block. Go home. Don't bother me. Go have a beer. Tom Trouble Horn. <laughs> Thank but, you. Thank you, Mark. Good thanks call. A lot, Mark. Call, call again, Mark. Call again. Yeah, I, I, see, I don't I, – he was able – was, was it Javier Lopez, wasn't it? Yeah, Lopez. Uh, and I don't like the way – I don't like when any catcher sets up outside of the box – uh, there is a catcher's box he's supposed to be staying in. His feet are supposed to be in there, and half yeah. the time they have one out. You're I'm right. not a big fan of when they're lining up and setting up outside or off the plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it worked for them because the the Braves are well known for getting uh, calls outside. Don't tell Maddox, Clavin, or Smoltz that. They will deny it every time. I was wrong regarding the White Sox when we return. That and more. If you're on hold, we'll get you on the radio. 332-3776. Jesse talking Cubs at 10. And Scott Merkin talking White Sox at 11. All that and much, much more. It's ESPN 1000.
having a great Saturday. Mike Murphy here. Fred Hubner right there. 332-3776. Jesse Rogers in St. Louis in a uh, about half hour. And at 11 o'clock on the White Sox beat, uh, which we will be on a lot today, is uh, they have a five-game winning streak. Scott Merkin, WhiteSox.com. As I said, then about uh, 90 minutes. Only one team in baseball with a longer winning streak right now. That is the that? Colorado Rockies have won six in a row. Story, their shortstop had another. Yeah, he drove in seven last yeah, night. How about that? Yeah. Uh, the Cubs right now, a half game in front of Milwaukee, who's in second place. St. Louis and Pittsburgh now just three and a half back in a tie for third, and uh, Cincinnati in fifth. Just five back. Yeah, the Reds are only five back, and we talked all all off season about how tough this NL Central is going to be, and it's going to yeah. be uh, tight all year long. They're all going to finish eighty one and eighty one. <laughs> yeah. They could. Well, I've already got a homework assignment here for Jesse when he comes in. Jesse, how does MLB break a five way tie? Okay, we'll give him a week to work on that. But last night, here's what's interesting, Fred: the National League Central. Cubs and Milwaukee lost, the, the front runners. Right. And uh, the next three teams, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, all won. So they all picked up a game, and it is compressing down closer a little bit all the time here. The Cubs have lost six out of eight. Well, you got Pittsburgh playing Milwaukee right now, and the Cubs playing the Cardinals. So could, the only team playing out of division is the Reds right now. It could tighten up uh, yeah. quickly. Uh, let's quick slide in. Gideon has been patient. He's in Wrigleyville. Now he's on ESPN 1000. Gideon. Hey, Murph and Fred. So, the I guess the thing about the fan getting hit by the ball, first off, that's just a terrible incident. Like, getting hit in the head by a baseball hit at that velocity is a terrible blow to the head, if, if you get hit in the head. Um, I think that, that the teams have... They have to put up netting that goes all the way down the foul line. I think that's important. That's their duty. They're doing everything they can at that point to protect fans. After that, if it goes over the netting, it's on the fans to be paying attention. Yesterday, I was sitting in Section 134, and my sister went with me to the game. This was her first game in a few years, and every time the ball was hit, into foul territory over uh, by a left-handed hitter, she ducked her head because she was scared that the ball would come over the net and hit us or bounce back and hit us. Bring a glove. No, I'm just... Uh... Yeah, and, and, that's, and Giddy, we appreciate the call, Gideon. The, the, the thing with the, uh, the... The whole thing with this is it's going to be interesting because, you know... I'd like to know how many people will now go to games because they're safe and protected when the netting goes all the way to the foul line, as opposed to how many people who yap, 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 oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to be covered by netting. Uh, well, how many people now are sitting behind the dugout? Seems pretty like a pretty nice seat right now. Uh, it is going to be distracting once they eventually get this done two and a half, three years late, um, you know, because... Fly balls down the left and right field line. You will not be able to reach into the stands anymore. Well, no one has anyone mentioned this, and you just touched on it. There'll be there wouldn't have been a Bartman play, right? There wouldn't have been a Bartman right. play. But, but think about it. You saw. You, if you don't know the configuration of St. Louis, St. Louis has their stands that jut 
out towards yeah. the field. Sort of like Fenway. Uh, a, lot of ball, field. a lot of ballparks do. Yeah. I have no idea where they're going to be able to hang netting from there. Mm. They're gonna. It's not going to be an easy thing for them to do. Get an erector. So there's going to be a lot of balls that are line drives right into those seats that will now be hit into the netting. So it's going to be. It's going to change the game a little bit. We'll get back on this a little bit later. I have a few fresh things, as Fred does also, not to replow the uh, ground from all week. Uh, vote now. Should MLB teams be legally responsible for fans' injuries. By the way, they are not right now legally responsible. Says it on your ticket. And uh, vote, uh, that'd be yes or no, and uh, vote true or false. Most foul ball injuries are, uh, frankly, due to the fan not paying attention. Let's slide in a little White Sox talk here, Fred. Their five-game uh, winning streak, working their way up in the standings. But more than that, you know, maybe this is part of that uh, early step of, uh, you know, learning, uh, maturing, uh, uh, being the team that Sox fans and Rick Hahn uh, are looking for a couple of years down the road. There's, you never know exactly when things start gelling, which right. is a word that I don't think I've ever used before, but uh, gelling. But I want to set the table a quick talk about Lucas Giolito, which he had, has had an unbelievable run, uh, a nice, amazing run. Yep. Here is, we have a thing on the uh, radio station. It's a sponsorship. It's, and we're very happy to have the White Sox Minute. And it pops up, you know, every day or two. And uh, Every day. You know, every day there's a White Sox Minute. Recap by... Uh, uh, by uh, Jason Benetti. Thank you, Jason yep. Benetti. And then, uh, you know, buy some tickets. It's, you know, it's, but here was an interesting one this week. Entering play yesterday, Lucas Giolito had the biggest dive in ERA from 2018 to this year of any starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. But the Royals attacked him last night in the first inning of game two of a modified doubleheader. They got three runs on a homer from Alex Gordon, four batters in. After that, though, Lucas Giolito silenced a team one more time, this time Kansas City. 14 straight batters retired from the third through the seventh. Eight innings, ten strikeouts. Giolito got the win for the Sox, who won game one as well, to sweep the modified doubleheader. That's the guy that they traded for. That's the guy that Rick Hahn and his people said, we want him included. And He's he's a new pitcher this year, as you just heard the numbers, Fred. Yeah, well, they they got him, they got Ronaldo Lopez, and they also got Dane Dunning for Adam Eaton, which is pretty darned amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Lucas Giolito figured some things out. Last year, he got allowed more earned runs than any pitcher in, in all of baseball. He walked more guys than all but one pitcher in baseball. That was Tyler Chatwood, who walked 95. He walked 90. And he was probably the worst pitcher in the American League last year, uh, Lucas Giolito. He made some changes. Uh, he is uh, not rushing his delivery, uh, but but not waiting around. It's funny because yet yesterday you saw uh, you Darvish, and Darvish says he pitches better when he takes his time. Giolito, a couple games ago when they had the five inning complete game because of the rain, he knew he had, when he went out there in the top of the fifth, he had to get the guys out, so he threw a little bit quicker up tempo, and he said that tempo actually helped them. He's now carried that over with him, so uh, he's made some changes. It's nice to see pitchers that make changes. All the pitchers, like quarterbacks, take a while to learn the game. Frankie Montas, who was with the White Sox and four other teams, is now pitching one of the top pitchers in the American League for the Oakland A's. He's been around the league for five years already, so it takes a while. Lucas Giolito was on uh, with the cap man Thursday, Thursday morning about 11.05. Here you are now, your second season with the Chicago White Sox, and everybody's writing, 
velocity's up. You're throwing more strikes. Last year, you threw strikes at a 60.5% rate, 116th out of 121 qualified starters. You now generate strikes at a 66.3% clip. You're 31st out of 130 qualified starters. And your first pitch strike rate has shot up from 55 to 62. What was the big change? Is it mental or was it physical? Uh, mostly mental. Um, obviously, uh, with the year I had last year, I kind of went I went home in the offseason and I was like, all right, I kind of have to overhaul some things. I got to fix some fix some stuff because what I'm doing is not working. So from the physical side, the mental side, you know, new new routine, you know, really focusing on my state when I'm out there, you know, what I'm thinking about, what I'm what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish, not letting the moments get too big. And I kind of was able to put a lot of stuff together and you know, I'm having a pretty solid start to, to this year. I've always had a, a pretty lively four-seamer. I just, w- with the way I was throwing the ball over the past few years, I, I lost a lot of life. Um, I was, I was kind of in survival mode a lot of the time, trying to find ways to get guys out. And a lot of the time it was sinking the ball, you know, throwing front hip two-seamers to lefties, uh, change-ups, all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas in the off-season, uh, just got to work on got to work on putting myself into better positions to, to execute pitches, throw the baseball the way I know I can. And it led to finding that life in my fastball, velocity picking up to the point where it's like, all right, I don't need the sinker anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw four seamers and, and uh, have my off-speed work off of that. Interesting stuff. And it's been working, too. It's been amazing. It's it's been terrific. Tell you what, we're going to catch up on a few things when we return. Bill Buckner. I got a couple of numbers here. In fact, the tip of that to uh, Gordy Wittenmeyer Uh at the Sun-Times. Bill Buckner, an amazing ball player. I never met him, but from everything you hear, he was a wonderful fella. Also passed away at age 69. Jesse, in a few minutes, White Sox talk again in the 11 o'clock hour, if not sooner. Bears made an interesting little uh, acquisition, little pickup there uh, yesterday. And uh, I was wrong regarding the White Sox. Busy day. Glad you're with us. Back in a flash, Murph and Freddy, ESPN 1000. Murph and Fred, glad you're with us. Jesse in a few minutes. Bone bruise, heel. You know, Javi Baez missed uh, some games and then he DH'd and then he played third base. Oh, yeah, I loved him at third base. He was tremendous. I heard you yesterday. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's going to love anywhere. Yeah. Well, he's the best. He, he's the best third baseman, shortstop, yeah. and second baseman yeah. they have. You could see that the first day he was in the big leagues. And it took him, it took the Cubs about, what, two years to get him to shortstop. Yeah. They didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, I guess, Addison, Russell, I don't know. But you're exactly right, Fred. In fact, John Dewan, the fielding Bible, had to create a new award. Yeah, like a utility for guy. For Javi. Yeah. yeah, because they put him, uh, you know, 50 games at second, 30 games at 20 games at shortstop. Right. And they had to put, because uh, he he had more 
John DeWan's got a thing called defensive runs saved. Sort of like, I don't know, war for overall, but this is for defense, to make it simple. And uh, Javi had more defensive runs saved that one season at second base than any other second baseman at the end of the year. And he only played 81 games. Yeah, Yeah. he's amazing. Yeah. He really is. So uh, the bone bruise. Now, I've never been a professional ball player. Fred, when I was playing ball, like in high school, going to Lions Township High School, Lagrange, I had a bone bruise. Uh-huh. I don't know how I got it, but I came down, I guess, on a rock or something funny, you right. know, playing ball with the spikes on the shoot. But and for like the next two months, every step I took playing ball felt like I had a thumbtack in my shoe, sure. just jolting up. And there's nothing you can do about it. Well, back then we had no physical, we had no doctor, no medical, you know, high school baseball. But now, I don't think it matters. I've looked a little, you know, I've tried to research a little bit, and I can just tell you from, only one thing, time. Uh Time. And the more you stay off it, the better. So, I'm sure they do things that I don't know about, but it's nothing to just, oh, his heel hurts. No, it's a lot more than that. Speaking about a guy that always hurt, Bill Buckner. And you're reading some of these stories to remind us how his entire body, they'd like ice him down before and after the game. He was constantly beat up. When Bill Buckner first came up with the Dodgers, he was as fast as almost anybody in the league. And he could hit. He was a left fielder. He wasn't a terrific fielder. He didn't have a plus arm, as they say. Uh But he had unbelievable foot speed. And he's a hitting machine. This is from Gordy Wittenmeyer. Now, he played, you know, about half his career with the Dodgers and maybe half with the Cubs or give it, and then some with, the, we know, you know, Boston. Right. But Bill Buckner, all right, he had more career hits in his uh, 2,715, whatever, doesn't matter. He had more career hits than Ted Williams, Ernie Banks, and Joe DiMaggio. Now, Ted Williams missed a lot of time for yeah. the service. planes. For the service. Yeah. I think he was in both World War II and Korea. <laughs> Flying uh, fighter planes, right? Unbelievable. And uh, Joe DiMaggio didn't have the longest career. Ernie did. More career hits than Ted Williams, DiMaggio, and Ernie Banks. Bill Buckner had more RBIs than Greg Lazinski. Okay. Frank Howard, Gabby Hartnett, to mention a couple. His uh, higher career batting average than Carl Yastrzemski. His uh, grandson hit another home yeah, last night. It. Uh. No one would know how to pronounce his name if, if he didn't have grand, grandpa. Right. You know, Pronouncing it's one thing, Carl. spelling it's another. Really? Yeah. I, I couldn't do it if I had to. <laughs> Y-A-Z. Yeah, very <laughs> That's good. That's it, just yes. Yeah, just legally changed It's so it. much easier. Mark, higher batting average, Buck, Billy Buck, uh, 289. Then uh, Yaz, 285. Ryan Sambrid, 285. And here's a good one. More runs scored, 1,077, than Kirby Puckett. Kirby. He, was, he was a great player. Ah, yeah. My gosh. He was a great, great player. Played with a good Dodger team and mm-hmm. the Cubs teams that were trying to trying to figure it out. And then uh, he got fortunate to go to, uh, to Boston. So, Fred, we played around last week, and I updated it. I think this is a very appropriate uh, a quick uh, number game here. The White Sox and the Cubs, their rebuilding records year by year when the rebuild began. Okay. All right? And the 
The Sox have won five in a row, and that's since we did this last Saturday. Right. All right. So the first year of the Cubs rebuild, that would be 2012, uh, Theo's first year. The first year of the Cubs rebuild, they won 61 games. The first year of the uh, White Sox rebuild, which would be uh, the three years ago, 67. Okay. Year two of the rebuilds, the Cubs went up from 61 to 66. Sox fell backwards last year to 62. So when you add them together, almost a dead heat. Here's where it gets interesting. The Cubs' uh, third year of their rebuild, okay, 61, 66 wins, and then 73. The Sox, three years, 67 wins, 62. You know what they're on the pace for right now? 79 and a half wins. There you go. Because right now they're one game under 500. Right. It's about one-third through, so they're going to be about three games under 500, give or take. 79 wins. So the Sox are on the pace now. What's this boiled down to, Merv? Sox are on the pace to win 79 games uh, in their third year of the rebuild. The Cubs won 73. What happened the next year for the Cubs? 97 wins, and then the uh, 103 wins right. in year five, the World Series year. So, you know, not to say projecting this out. Yeah, it's tough to do because you don't know what's going to happen later in the year if the right. Sox are going to get rid of a few guys and... Yeah, the name, Colomay's name keeps coming up there. Well, the White Sox signed him to a two-year deal. He's not a... He's got a year and a half. Yeah, he's not a free agent at the end of next year. So if the White Sox are planning on getting better, you know, for next year, which you know they are, why would you move him just for a piece, a minor league piece? You wouldn't. You you wouldn't do that. So... It's hard to Unless you're counting on Zach Birdie to be your guy or Alec Hansen to be your guy or, or one of the other minor leaguers. But when you have an established guy who doesn't throw heat... He, he's not getting he's guys just, out with fastballs. He's just tough to hit. Yeah, he's tough to hit. Still two-seamer. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, he's doing well. I think he's 11 for 11 now in uh, save opportunities. You know, you never say never if someone bowls you over with an unbelievable package, but... Well, yeah, but how many, how, oh, many teams have, oh. how many teams have another Eloy and, C- and Cease? Well, that wouldn't be for this guy, but... <laughs> well, you know, you, you, want, a, you want a closer... You know, uh, Dylan Cease is having another nice little role. David DeJesus says you need a closer. So what are you gonna, what are you going to give the White Sox? Or you want Colome? You know, I heard from uh, during the last break. Someone told me they actually pay him. <laughs> I like him. I think he's a lot better than he was uh, when he first started. So he came in the air last a while. night and said the Cubs need a closer. That, that was his opening well, evaluation. He of probably the game. he probably knew he probably knew that that you know you can't go wrong because most Cubs fans are going to agree with you on that. Well, they do. Yeah, but that's not how you come out of a ten inning <laughs> loss. And, and and a million other things happened, and yeah. this was not one of them last night. What do I know? I'm just a fan. Oh. And to prove that I was wrong, I've been saying, and you know, friend, I've been saying, you got to trade Abreu. Get something for no, him. completely disagree. No, no, I was wrong. Oh, you were wrong about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, he can't go anywhere. you got to no, keep you him. you need him. Yeah. Yeah, he's got to stay. Uh, Jose Abreu right now, I mean, he's he's hitting, only, he's hitting 250. He's got 50 homers. He leaves 15 the American and 50. League in ribbies. <laughs> yeah. Did you 15 know? 15 and 50. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, 50 RBIs. Jose Abreu leads the American League in RBIs. I was thinking, you know, well, you're not going to be ready to win the uh, World Series next year. Go over, uh, get something for him by July 31st. Right. Some teams, but 13 teams can't even bid on him because he's, you know, a National League team figures, well, he's going to, though he does play better first base yeah. than he ever has before. Yeah, you know, he's made some great, he made another nice play yesterday. 
Yeah. So there was a shot to his uh, to his right. He went out on the ground, got it through the set, through the first base, almost got the double play. Can he not speaking? Chuck Garfield had him on no. the field, player of the game. Still not comfortable speaking there, English. And they and they had the interpreter. Yep. And uh, okay, whatever. Still not comfortable speaking English. How he's many years are now? Five? Sick. Oh, this this is Diamond. a six. Six, because he's a free agent. Uh, Murphy and Fred. Jesse next back in a flash. Vote on our Twitter poll questions. Should MLB teams, uh, baseball teams, be legally responsible for fans' injuries? Uh, yes or no? Hint, they are not. And most foul ball injuries are due to the fan himself or herself not paying attention. True or false, vote at ESPN 1000. West Bank Studios on the corner of State and Lake in the Loop. This is ESPN 1000 WMVP Chicago. Lovely Dana wants to see the Elton John movie. Uh, sounds good. Yeah, Rocket Man just yeah. coming out. This yeah. just came out yesterday. One of the best concerts I've ever seen. About six months yeah, ago. Yeah, my buddy said the same thing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wish I would have seen it. Talking about netting, I hear they want to throw some over uh, Je- over Jesse. Let's go. Hey, he's on the phone. Oh, I, I saw him on TV the other day. I saw him on TV uh, about a week they ago when, he was, doing, when no. he was doing a Channel 7 stand-up. In the <laughs> right, right by the uh, camera well. Get the net. Jesse Rogers covering baseball. He's down in St. Louis for ESPN 1000 following the Cubs. Uh, all right, Jesse, first things first. Uh, could the Cubs use Tommy LaStella right now? <laughs> you have to ask that question, right? All right, let me rephrase No, no. Let me re- <laughs> hold on. Let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase yeah. it. So I'm uh, playing around on the old uh, iPhone, whatever you guys call it these days, and here's some uh, ca- character out there. He says, Here's my early uh, all-star uh, starting uh, lineup uh, predictions with the votes and all that, right? And he's got the National League, and there's Baez at short, and Wilson Contreras catching up. Look at the American League. Second base, Tommy LaStella. <laughs> Might deserve it. Might get yep. in. Who knows? He'll be there. He'll be in town Monday, by the way, the makeup game Monday. But he's having a great year. Having take, a him great out, year. take him out to breakfast. Now, here's the thing about Tommy LaStella. <laughs> Here's his uh, slash lines, 310, 372, 538, with a uh, 9-10 on base plus slugging. 12 homers and 34 ribeyes. So a serious question. If he were in the National League playing every day for the Cubs at second base, where would he be batting in the batting order? Would he have 12 homers, 34 RBIs, or would Joe have him being the uh, you know pinch hitter? Well, with Zobris gone, I think he would have gotten some sort of a chance more mm-hmm. than normal, but I don't, not the chance that he's getting in L.A., probably not. Right. And the thing is, he, he changed his swing a little bit once he started getting more playing time. Mm-hmm. You know, he adjusted it when he became a pinch hitter with the Cubs. Now he's getting more playing time. 
and he's willing to swing sort of for the fences, for lack of a better phrase. So I don't know if he'd be playing the same way with the Cubs because I just don't know about the playing time. But he'd certainly get more now that Zobrist is gone. Josh, uh, yesterday, really quickly, before the game yesterday, all everybody was talking about, and I'm, I'm watching MLB.com, and I even talked about it yesterday before the game, was the you know the Chris Bryant comment about bo- St. Louis being boring. I thought the Cubs dugout handled it unbelievably well with everybody booing and giving him the thumbs down when he went to the plate the first time. Yeah, in the dugout, yeah. <laughs> Never seen that before in my oh, life. It was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Joe even said he's never booed his own player. I mean, even Joe got, yeah. got into it. It was great. I mean, that 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 is honestly. I know we we you know whatever about teams. This is what makes them kind of special. Their own group, their own way. Not every team would do that. Right. I'm telling you, not every team would 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 find the humor in that. Not every player would would um, accept that as you know what I mean. Like that doesn't work everywhere. Where you you sort of. <laughs> turn into the joke against your own player, and that's what they did in the middle of a game. So um, it didn't affect him. He took a swing on the first pitch, lined it to left, I mean, off, off the third baseman there for a base hit. And that's what, and then the and boot- Jess, that's what was funny, because it was all booing, and then as soon as he hit the ball, all the Cub fans cheered. So, again, that, that, that again proves everyone likes to be critical of the fun the Cubs have had over the years. They, they average 96 wins a, 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 a year. Um, in the moment, they can do something like that. He can still get a hit. You know, you can have fun yeah. and win baseball games at the same time. That's a little microcosm of that concept to, in my feeling, in my world. Jesse Rogers with us. Okay, Jesse, I have a uh, homework assignment for you uh, for the next time you join us, hopefully next Saturday or whenever. And it is this. How does Major League Baseball break a five-way tie <laughs> In the National League Central when the season ends and everyone is 81 and 81, do they have a methodology, and how would they do it? I do need to look that up. <laughs> of, of course, there's a methodology. Uh-huh. They make sure that they have. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, you know, they, it's in the books. They won't make it up along, along the way as much as we might think they might. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'd have to look up exactly how that. I mean, we could figure it out on the air, but it might take about oh. 20 minutes. So. Yes, I will. I will find that for you for next okay, Saturday. Because the first thing you would guess is, well, simple. Come on, Murph. You got head to head. Head to head. Yeah. But am I mistaken or not? When the season ended last year, all right, and the Cubs were tied for first with Milwaukee Brewers, correct? Yes. I believe the Cubs had won the season series. It was an odd number, nineteen game. I believe the Cubs had won the season series, but yet they still were not placed ahead of the Brewers. So I don't know if head-to-head was used last year. Therefore, why would it be used in a five-way tie? That's just me. I could be wrong. No, it's it's not used in a five-way tie. I believe head-to-head <laughs> is only used if both teams have made the playoffs and things like that. You know what I mean? If the playoffs are on the line, uh-huh. there's no head-to-head. You play the game. You so play how are you going to do? Okay, so you had five teams that tie 81-81. And I'm not... You know, obviously, it's one in a million, but the point is, look at last night. Fred, you were talking about the standings. The Cubs and Milwaukee lost. They, uh, they lost, and the other three teams in the division all won. St. Louis, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati all picked up a game. The division is starting to compress a little bit, Jesse. One through five, five games. Yeah, that's the point. It's compressing. 
Yeah, as predicted by everybody in oh, January. Yeah. That's what I love about it. Uh-huh. We all thought it'd be a great division. It's turning out to be even better than the NL East by by leaps and bounds. I think the NL East kind of stinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, um, the Cubs hosted the wild the, the play-in game because of the um, not the play-in game, the tiebreaker game uh, because of the because of the winning the the head-to-head season series. So that's where that comes in the home field advantage for. The tiebreaker games that you would see if in a five oh, game in a five way tie. That's how they got home field. Exactly. So they they head to head would not determine uh, anybody right. advancing to okay. the playoffs. Right. That's that's what yeah. I was wondering. Yeah. Uh, exactly. All right. Let's take a look at the uh, game last night. The uh, I guess it's the good news. Darvish had another outing that might be looked at as trending upward. Six innings pitched, but 93 pitches, and he walked, what, the first two guys to uh, start the game in a wild pitch. I, I, I guess you say it was a, uh outing where he's trending up, but still, those walks, no. and then he did it again later in the game, also put a couple men on. Yeah, I don't think you're give, giving him enough credit, Murph. No. I mean, a lot of pitchers start games right. out not lock, you know finding the zone, okay. not locked in. All right. I mean, let's let's compare what he used to be. That would be a guy that would have melted right there. Um, I thought he pitched great. Mm-hmm. He's getting guys out in the zone again. That that's a sign of really good stuff, and that's been trending the right way. I I thought that was an excellent outing. Okay. Now again, I saying for him and maybe for anybody, he still only gave up a run, so. Um, yeah, he could be a little bit more efficient at times, and that first inning didn't help. But wow, did he recover quickly? And he yeah. and he sailed from there. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I think it's a great step in the right direction. Right. And just think, if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have scored any runs. RBI. Well, that's the other topic we can talk <laughs> about. And it is it is strange. I'm getting all people yelling at me on social media. I will tell you the good news. It, it is still important to get on base. The the runs will come if you get on base. The strange part of this team is to be a 257 hitting team. That's decent in this day and age. Mm-hmm. And then when runners are in scoring position, it drops to 239, a 17-point difference. Now, let me say one thing. Everyone loves Houston. Houston leads the AL in hitting. They drop 27 points with runners in scoring position, but they also lead in on-base percentage. I will stick to what I've said in the past. The more you get on, the more you're going to strand, and your and your RISP will come down. But not it shouldn't be this low. It shouldn't be this low. I mean, the the, the Astros dropped 27 points, but they don't drop to 239. So the, it is it is strange to be a 257 hitting team or 256 and drop to 239 when runners are. You can drop a little bit because you're getting so many on, but that's too much. That's too much. So it it, it must. I've talked to Iaposi. I've talked to Madden. They, they're at a loss. It has to be somewhat flukish to have that big of a difference between your regular average and your average with runners in scoring position. What do you think, Murph? You've been well, around a long time. Well, most people say it's random walk, like you're saying, you know. And uh, though Bill James did, after uh, 30 years, say, well, watching Ortiz, he seems to, with Boston, always seem to hit the ball in the, in the clutch. But I think most people will say it's just, you know, hit or miss, random walk, uh, luck of the draw. But now Schwarber's been terrific in his, what, 15 games or whatever leading off. But last night, unfortunately, he goes 0 for 5. Uh, Bryant in the Two hole, one for four. So you got one for nine out of the top two guys. And the the odd thing is, the irony is, 
Put him at the top of the order. They get the extra at bat. Well, that's exactly what happened. Top of the 10th inning. Tie score. Uh, Almora leads off strikeout in the 8-hole. Descalzo walks in the 9-hole pinch hitting. Gets to second on the wild pitch. You got you know, lead run on second. One out. And here, the uh, fifth at bat of the day. That extra at bat. Schwarber strikes out. Bryant grounds out. And, you know, but they, everything was there and set up like it was supposed to be set up. The extra at bat for one and two guy. The fifth at bat rolls around in the 10th inning. The problem is the extra bat for Schwarber is good if you want to walk. It's not good mm. if you want to hit. Ah. I, 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 I took a peek at his numbers, in particular runners in scoring position. Oh, my God. This year, he's down to 108 batting average with runners in scoring position. Last year, he was under 200. The year before that, in 17, that awful year he had, leading off 144. The guy has not hit over 200 with runners in scoring position since 2015. So, putting him at leadoff instead of an RBI spot. And here, funny, I did did a little back of the uh, envelope on this also last night. I looked at the Cubs home run hitters and how many RBIs they have more than the, uh, you know, homers when you knock yourself in. Baez is 13 homers, 34 ribbies. That means he's got 21 ribbies other than himself. Contreras, 12 homers. He has 20 RBIs other than his uh, self. Uh, Rizzo, 15 homers, a whopping 27. So we got 21 RBIs for Baez. Not where you're counting the homer. 20 for Contreras. 27 for Rizzo with his 15 homers and 42 uh, RBIs. Bryant, 13 homers, Jesse. Fred, 35 RBIs. But here we go. Schwarber has 10 homers, 21 RBIs. Only 11. Now, some of these are with men on base when he hit the sure, homer. Sure. And I didn't have time or, you know, to do that. So, Schwarber in the leadoff slot because he walks, but you're not getting RBIs out of him, and you hit the nail on the head. In the 10th inning, man on second, one out, there he is. He's, that's great as long as you need a walk, and you didn't need a walk, and he struck out. Yeah, uh, it, a lot of this is a mystery to me. I mean, how they, they get so many guys on base. They're second in the National League behind the Dodgers. And they've been there for years at the top of the league and on base percentage, mm-hmm. and yet they still have weird things like home run totals that equal their RBI totals that you just mentioned. It's just, yeah. it's just weird. And I will reiterate, the Houston Astros are 11th in the American League with runners in scoring position, 11th. So it's, 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 it's a weird, weird thing to get on that much and not score enough, but at least the Astros start with a higher average, and of course it's the American League. So when they drop, it's still decent. Let me just give you that average right now, because it's just so weird. Mm-hmm. They're, they're actually 247. That's not great, but it's better than 239. Think if the Cubs were hitting eight points better with runners in scoring position. How many more runs they would score? So that, that's my thing, 239. That's just ahead of the Marlins. I mean, they got it. They have to be better than that for a team that's uh, hitting two fifty eight, which is like top five in the league. It just doesn't uh, make sense. For Tommy Lestell in the middle of the order, <laughs> visiting with Jesse Rogers, final couple minutes. You had the funniest. I line. say they trade back for him in July, Murph. Get him yeah. back in July. What do the Angels need him at this point? Right, right. You what had we, a, what'd we get back for him? 
Well, that's the problem. You, you'd have to actually give a prospect to get him. Yeah. Right, while you, right. you gave him away right, because right. nobody else actually was interested in him uh, except for the Angels. You, you had one of the funniest lines uh, on Twitter last night where you said the Cubs are over 23 or over 24, whatever it is, with runners in scoring yeah. position. You said maybe the guys should just stop at first. Um, <laughs> that, but but uh, Ken Rosenthal puts an article out today. I'm sure you probably saw it already. And uh, all yeah. the talk has always been about the Cubs needing a closer. David DeJesus opened up the postgame show with that last night, uh, but apparently and according, he's still getting paid. According to Major League sources, uh, Rosenthal saying the Cubs are, are showing interest in uh, Kimbrell, and this is what basically we've talked about since all since last week. With the Zobris money freed up, with him being you know on the uh, on the restricted list, they they could be able to use this and not worry about hitting the luxury tax. But they don't yeah, I, know I, yet if he, but they don't know yet if he's coming back. That's why we're right. saying with you, uh, Jesse, Fred, and I last week. He has to declare. He has to say, "All right, I'm retiring." Now they know they've got the nine million dollars. So far, they've recouped a million because he hasn't played for about two, three weeks. He's making two million a month, twelve million over six months. That's two million a month. He's been out two, three weeks. Point is, they have yes, a million in the pocket now, but they need to know, Jesse. Do we have nine million coming? And Fred, you mentioned that uh, we'll then keep them under the uh, luxury tax. Uh, Rosenthal might have been saying. Too too there, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doesn't it amaze you that a, th- a company worth $3 billion has to rely right. on a player leave- uh, on yeah. personal leave Absolutely. to, yeah. to, to now, sign a need? Right. Now, I still don't think they're any sort of a favorite for Craig Kimbrell. Um, and, and Rosenthal's article doesn't t- tell the degree of interest. Right. Of course they're in touch with him. I mean, we're, gonna, we're, we're starting to get into trade season. Let me just tell you now, they're in touch with every single team or player that can close in the ninth inning. Every single one that has a closer, any player that's available, they're in touch with them. So to say they're in touch, or in, you know, that, that, that that's goes without saying. What's the level? Will, are they willing to pay next year and the year after if Kimbrough wants three? I, I still don't believe they're anywhere near a favorite, if there is a favorite. That, that's my opinion today. That could change tomorrow. Um, I'll, I'll just call that informed opinion. We'll see. And by the way, both Jed and Theo have stated publicly, maybe they're lying, Theo more likely to, to get a, a pitcher or two via trade. And Jed just the other day stating, um, don't tie uh, Zobris money into us spending it. You know, Now maybe he's lying and maybe he's <laughs> softening the blow of not getting Kimbrough, but they have said that publicly for whatever it's worth. Jesse, uh, you've had some great uh, comments uh, this week. Miss a little, miss a lot. Talking about the quote-unquote rotation of uh, Joe Madden, uh, not the pitching rotation, the position players last year compared to this year. Uh, nine guys now is your feeling that might be the way to go as opposed to 12, uh, 11, 12 in the past. But here's where this thing all fell apart. Back in spring training, all right, this year, the Cubs were planning on having Hap, I'm talking about opening the spring train, you know, middle February. Here was the plan. We got Hap, we got Zobrist, and we got this Kelso. And we can rotate them around. Hap's a switch hitter. Zoe is a switch hitter. Descalso's a lefty. That means you got three lefties because two of them are switch hitters. Hap and Zoe, second base, left field, right field, Descalso. All of a sudden, Hap is... Not in play. Zoe is not in play. And God love him, one of my favorite guys, but Descalso can't get rolling. So the initial plan of Hap, Zobris, Descalso is really right now dead meat. It's actually a great observation. I hadn't really thought about it too much. And when you talk about 
late-game stuff, most of the dominant relievers are on the right side, right? Most teams have more righties in the bullpen than lefties, and that's where sending even Hap up there, Descalso or Zobrist up there against a righty, especially Zobrist, that's where you get that platoon advantage. Hmm. It, it's more later in the game than anything, and Joe used to do that. He'd mix and match, maybe pull Schwarber when he's not going well, and you know, obviously back last year get in Listella. So that that's a great point. Missing those two switch hitters over time will catch up with you, even as bad as Hap was. Just that ability to put that thought in the other manager's mind. He adjusts his bullpen use. Now it's a little yeah. bit easier. I've been saying this since really the end of spring training. But add Zobrist into the mix. It's easier to pitch to the Cubs. They lost Listella. Now they lost Zobrist. Um, Discalso happens to be going bad right now. At the beginning of the year, he was decent. So now the Cubs are scrambling. They bring in Cargo. Maybe that'll make a difference. We'll see. But that's a great observation from you, Murph. The plan at the end of spring has changed because of what's gone on there. Three lefties. In fact, let's bring in EO11 here. Uh, Eric, we have uh, one of our active Twitter poll questions right now. Uh, Jesse and Fred, uh, regarding Carlos uh, Gomez, uh, Cargo, uh, veterans. Gonzalez. <laughs> Thank you, Gonzalez. <laughs> cargo. I should have just stayed with Cargo. <laughs> I actually would rather have Carlos, uh, Carlos Gomez. <laughs> he's sort of a nutball, too. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think he's a little bit better hitter right now. Uh, veterans, uh, Gary Gaetti uh, and Jim Edmonds were big help uh, as midseason acquisitions uh, some years back for the Cubs. Uh, Cargo, Carlos uh, Gonzalez, will also be a key pickup. Vote A. Big time, yes. B, no chance, or C, well, he may help a little bit. EO11, say hi to Jesse. You ever met Jed, talk to Jesse before? Uh, once or twice, once or twice. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> oh, All right, My pleasure. Uh, All right, Eric, what the fans say, give it to us from the bottom up. What was the uh, least amount of votes on uh, cargo, big-time help, no chance, or uh, some? Uh, only 7% of the Cubs fans are optimistic, saying he'll be a big-time help. Mm-hmm. 30% of them say there's no chance he'll be a key pickup. Mm-hmm. 63% say eh, he may help. Now, here's thank you, Rick. Here's a guy that we all know had a terrific, what, 10-year run. Sure, it might have been augmented by the uh, mile-high altitude. Right. But even on, I mean, here's a ball player. He is a ball player. Uh, he would play, I guess, right field for the Cubs when he plays Jesse. He'd kick uh, Hayward over to center, I guess, starting lineup uh, against tough righties. What, uh, what's the buzz? Uh, he did not let the record show. I believe he did not play in spring training for the, with the Indians. He was recovering. And at that age, you need spring training. Then he gets thrown right in. You know, I'm not being an over-optimistic Cub fan, but just pointing out the fact. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be over, overly optimistic either. I would have voted C. That's the easy way out. Yeah, he might help a little bit. You know, the the Indians have an awful outfield, and he couldn't stick with them. Mm-hmm. So you kind of wonder. But, you know, change of scenery, uh, maybe less pressure. He doesn't have to start. He's the fifth outfielder on the team. You never know. Um, I just know that's probably an upgrade from Jim Aducci or Mark Zagunis, just in terms of experience, in terms of know-how. The Cubs do go to Colorado in a couple weeks, so at least he'll be familiar there. I do expect him up. The, the buzzes, he'll be up very soon. I think he, he should get at bats today and tomorrow in uh, Iowa. There, and for all I know, will be at Wrigley by Monday or Tuesday. That's how quickly they want him up here. Sure. Aducci's just holding a, a roster yeah. spot, not doing much with it. So 
Um, I would have voted C, and if you get okay. more than that, then heck, why not? Well, Jim you Edmonds. got nothing to lose. Don't forget Jim Edmonds. Yeah, sure. Right. You know, Jess, we were debating earlier um, about all the pitchers the Cubs use. They use six relievers. Uh, they didn't use Tyler Chatwood, and there have been games where Darvish pitched, and then they brought Chatwood afterwards to go a few innings. Were you surprised they didn't go to Chatwood? I mean, he, he'd been rested. He hadn't pitched for a while. They had a day off Thursday. Or did you agree with the way that uh, Joe was going after it yesterday? No, I kind of did disagree a little bit with what he did. Um, I don't love Montgomery in that spot. Um, I could be wrong, but yeah, I just don't love him in that spot. Uh, I, you know, if you're a starting pitcher, which Montgomery thinks he is, right, and you give up a run in the first inning, it's not a big deal. If 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 you do that in the bottom of the tenth inning, it is a big deal. My point is, I, I just I don't I don't I didn't love him in that spot. I don't know how else to say it. Um, I, I I did like the idea of a chat what he's proven it um more and more um and maybe c shack should have came in to start that inning uh he's also better in that in a, in right. a do or die tenth inning spot i did not like montgomery there i i know obviously montgomery at some point in an extra inning game would take over because he can go three or four innings i just i don't know i, I don't chat like with. it so could chat with yeah i, I I would have gone C-Check yeah. or Chatwood. I would have waited on Montgomery as long as I could. But I don't know. I'm sort of dissecting in yeah. my head right I'm, now. I'm sort of 50-50 also. But, I mean, Fred raises great points. Chatwood had not thrown since the 12-pitch save last Saturday. Now, maybe Joe had the feeling this is going to be a 15-18 inning game. But I don't know. The more I think about it, I think Fred might have, uh, I, you might have yeah. to wonder and, and, and ask. We will uh, let you go. But uh, uh, Joe did not blame the loss on Laz Diaz, but he certainly had some strong opinions. We've been replaying it, and uh, it's tough when he misses the 3-2 uh, pitch with strike three for Maples, and then it's a walk, and then he misses the first pitch, pitch by a C-Sheck, who then has to let the uh, next pitch bleed in a little bit more, and it's fly ball, oppo, game's over. You know, you can argue all you want. The umps don't lose a game. They don't win a game. But those two calls were egregiously bad. It's just bad calls one way or the other. they got to fix this. Yeah, the, the thing I'd say is it, it's all about timing. If they miss those calls in the fifth, seventh, first inning, it, it's part of the game. In the tenth, the manager has a right uh, to to go off a little bit. That that's my feeling. That it's one to one, bottom of the tenth. You have no margin for error on the mound. Well, the ump shouldn't have any either. That pitch to Ma- Maples through ninety two percent of the time it's called a strike. Which still begs you to wonder: well, What about the who, yeah. who else is missing yeah. that call? It's a hundred percent. It wasn't even touching the uh, the, the border lines. It was that far no. over. It wasn't even kissing no. the line. Now, one thing is weird. I've heard this before. You know, guys like Maples who spin it as good as they, yeah. as he does. Some of the you know best umpires that aren't yeah. used to it sometimes That's have right. to get used to it, That's which true. is a bad excuse. You but you know, I guess it's yeah. it might be believable. I don't know. All right, Jesse, uh, this was not boring, and neither are you, but if you take a walk down the street, you, it, you might turn boring very quickly in, the, in St. Louis. Well, you know, to, to use a phrase, you you like to say miss a little, miss a lot. Here, you miss a little, you don't miss anything. <laughs> you know, I, I saw him in the stands yesterday. Did you, run, you run into your old pal Eddie Olchek yesterday? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was I great figured. to see him. Yeah. He loves baseball. He was out there with his producer and his director for the, tonight's game. Doc was feeling a little under the weather. So Doc didn't make it because he's got to call the big game tonight. But yep. um, Doc Emmerich, I'm talking about. 
but I, I, I joked with Eddie. I tweeted it out. Eddie's going to see more scoring tonight in the game than he than what he saw from the Cubs <laughs> last night. So when it was you, just one of those kind of boring when, when, games. When yeah. you see Doc uh, walking down the street, you go, "Hey, Doc," and he goes, "Hi, Bob." <laughs> do you, Doc's the best. Do you know Doc? I do know Doc. He's yes. the best. He is the best. Oh. He's awesome. I, I was hoping to see him last night, but sure. a little under the weather. Okay. Hey, Jesse, you're working overtime here. Well, there's always, I mean, even coming out for one minute, it's, we appreciate it. It's overtime, but we're way against the clock. EO11, glad you got to meet him. Uh, he's going, he's waiting. You got a break. Jesse, you're the best. Thanks, man. See you, Jesse. All right, guys. Take care. Murphy yeah. Fred, <laughs> back in a flash. I have a soundbite, Fred, that you might not be uh, aware of. Something that Yurko said earlier this week. Back in a flash, ESPN 1000. Murphy, Fred Hubner, back together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Now we're at the 50-yard line every Saturday night until noon. Me, I'm Mike Murphy. Him, he's Fred Hubner. Fred loves to get to... We've covered a lot, but we're just scratching the surface here. We, did, we didn't mention that oh. um, there were more home runs hit in the month of May than mm. any other month in Major League mm. Baseball history. 1,120 home runs. They're winding that ball tight. You know, e- either they've got to deaden the ball or just use the balls that they're supposed to use. One or the other, because this is just stupid. There are there are fourteen guys on pace for forty five homers this season. I don't want to get into a long topic on the ball, but how how do you juice it? And I've heard that someone even last, one of the either Cub game or the Sox yeah. game, one of the guys that played the game, we cut one in half once when I played back in the eighties, uh, and because the coach he had a ball from nineteen seventy two, and we cut them both in half, and the balls were different and uh, more yarn, less yarn, this and that. You hear everyone's talk about how do you juice the... In fact, that's EO11. How do you juice... You hear the phrase all the time. Now the ball's juiced. What is it? A syringe and they put like some uh, you know, liquid helium in it? Uh, how do you juice the ball? I, I believe it's how you said it. I think they make the balls harder. Either they use a different core or because it's woven strings, they, they tighten the strings more. So One of the two. You're a pretty smart guy. Yeah. You're the first person I've heard in a long time... Talk about the core, the middle of the ball, which could be like a little rubber ball. It could be cork. They can change it over time for the, uh, is it the word reflection, you know, the rebound or the reaction. It's going out of the ballpark like it's a Super Bowl. Well, it could be. Yeah. Because then there's two types of yarn. I took a ball apart when I was like 10 years old because I just wanted to see it, you know. Yeah. And there's there's the a core. Right. And it, again, like a super ball, it could be cork, and they change the parameters, the specs, if you will, I guess, over time. They never tell you. Seems like it'd be pretty simple for uh, someone to actually, you know, here's a, we've been saving balls every year. Let's cut them all in half and see what yeah, happens, right? Sure. And now the, the horse hide, as they call it, in fact, my, my a beagle ones, my a Rocky, good old Rocky, he tore a ball apart once down the yep. basement. Sure. And I hear him uh, uh, down there. Rawr, 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 rawr. And you, so the two horse hides, are, they're both shaped like, for lack of a better, like a snowman or a figure eight. And they interlock. Right. And then the red, uh, you know, string. Right. Whatever the official word is. Now. Makes the seams. If you, use, yeah. if you use less string. You'd have to pull it tighter. 
but it seems like it's already formed to fit together properly. Right. Or, no, Murph, you use less of that yarn inside, so uh, you got to, it's tighter. Well, if you use less yarn, though, it weigh less. And I know they have to weigh these balls. Yeah, they do. So I, I, it's got to be that core, the middle ball, right? You would think so. I just know it's flying flying far. People want more action. They don't want the strikeout, home run, and uh, uh-huh. walk. So maybe you should deaden the ball so nobody hits home runs. People There'll be a lot the more action ball. then. That'd be a lousy ad campaign. I know. There'll be a lot more action then. Guys will be catching balls and guys will be hitting line shot. Look how hard he hit that one to the warning track. Woo! Guys, guys dig the dead ball. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the uh, marketing uh, for yeah. EO11. Help me out here with a couple of our Twitter polls. Number four. Sox fans only vote on this. Jose Abreu is a free agent at the end of the year. Sock should say, uh, A, sign here, stay here, Jose. B, bye-bye. That's it. Stay or go. He's hitting 255, 304 on base, but slugging 523 on base plus slugging 827. But here, leads the league with 50 RBIs, 15 home runs. Fred, this is where I've been all last year and over the winter. Yep. You know, I said, get something for him. He won't be here for the re- You know what? The guy's going to just keep hitting. Yeah. He's going to keep hitting. Hitters can hit. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Big Poppy. David yeah. Ortiz played for a long time. But can so. you, are you going to then DH? Yeah, uh, that's Abreu, fine. Uh, what, what about Eloy? Are you going to keep him in left? He made a nice play last night. But he did. Rare. It was it was unbelievable, and uh, yeah. he made a nice play. I was still worried that when he came down on his leg, he was to hurt himself. Did not run into the wall. No, he's a big, clumsy guy, and uh, so yeah, he made a nice play yesterday. It looks like they're planning on keeping him in the outfield. Buddy of mine knows the game. You know what he always says? He says Hayward's afraid of the wall. Jason Hayward. Yeah. He says ever since he got beamed back uh, whenever that was with Atlanta. Okay. Uh Eric, what the fans say? Sox fans, what they vote for on Jose Abreu? The winning vote was? 65% say sign here. All right. All right. Uh, number seven, the Twitter poll is uh, for White Sox fans again. Nick Hostetler. He pops up everywhere because it's time the big draft yep. is a Monday. Monday, sure. Monday night. Sox with the third pick. Sox, uh, whatever his title is, player development, uh, scouting. Uh, Nick Hostetler said on TV Thursday that Kenny Williams will be in the uh, White Sox war room. Sox fans vote. That's excellent. B, why would he be there? Or C, that's bad news. I don't know, but uh, I'm not allowed to vote. That yeah, was for it Sox fans. doesn't matter to me. He's part of the team. So, All right. What the fans say there? I'm sure they voted like 90%. It's bad. Only 10% said it's excellent. Yeah. 40% said bad news. And 50% just why? Why is he there? <laughs> Which are almost B and almost C the same, pretty right. much the same. Yeah. Don't give him the uh, changes key card code or whatever the... Uh... I got something for you to read here, Fred. His goal, his, his goal is still for the White Sox to become a good team. So he's he's part of the group. Stay out of the White Sox business. That's Murphy. right. That's right. He, he doesn't like me. Yeah, I, I I don't mind Kenny. I got along with Kenny. 
I suggested a six-man rotation once on the radio about 15 years ago when the Sox actually had six starters. And I uh, sent the word back with one of our field reporters. Tell that guy he don't know blank about blank or something like that. Okay. Which is probably true. Uh, how about this book that we've been back? Uh, Rick Kempfer put ahead a book yep. out. And yep. uh, we had Rick on a few weeks. Every, every Cub ever. Th- yeah. So I thumb through this every once in a while. I just love it. It's got every Cub ever, like the name of the title is. Someone's got to do it every Sox ever now because there's yeah. some great ones that people forget all about. It's got your name written all over it. Yep. Yeah, I don't a, know if I have that much time. Here's a copy of, uh, now there was a guy that played for the Cubs, every Cub ever, and then he's, he writes like a paragraph or two. Yep. And uh, funny name, first name is Burley, but that's his real name, Burley Grimes, uh-huh. B-U-R-L-E-I-G-H, and he was Burley too, I, I can just picture him, he looks like a big strong Burley guy. He picked for the Cubs a couple years back in the 30s. Uh Grimes, it says here, Burley Grimes is a Hall of Famer, uh, but certainly not for his uh, one and a half years with the Cubs, 32 and 1933. He was a five-time 20-game winner, uh, went 9 and 17 for the Cubs. He was the last of the legal spitballers. There you go. All right, last of the legal spitballers in the majors. Uh, Grandfathered in when he retired, uh, the pitchers retired uh, also, uh, other than uh, Wink Wink like Gaylord Perry. But there's a yellow highlighted there, Fred. I think there's a part in here that fans are going to find pretty interesting. Again, back in the 30s, uh, Burley Grimes. Yeah, Burley Grimes uh, never shaved on Daisy Pitch because the slippery elm he chewed to increase saliva Uh irritated his skin. Hmm. So he always had stubble on his face when he took the mound. Mm -hmm. That led to his nickname, Old Stubblebeard. Strike him out, Old Stubblebeard. Old Stubblebeard. He wasn't just thrown... Are known for his stubble, nah. though. He was also known as one of the toughest competitors to ever take the mound. Uh, here, here comes the good part. His scowl would have made Randy Johnson's look like a smiley face. Uh-huh. And when it was time to give someone an intentional walk, he was known to throw four pitches near the batter's head. All right, give me that last sentence again. Yeah, when it was time to give someone an intentional walk, uh-huh. he was known to throw four pitches near the batter's head. He'd low bridge them four times. A little chin music. Yep. I'm going to intentionally walk you. I'm not going to make it too comfortable there. Burley, Burley, didn't, he didn't, Burley didn't stick around long for two years with the Cubs. Yeah, but uh, he's a Hall of Famer, old stubble beard. 32 and 33. Phone lines are jumping. Got White Sox talk coming up in a little while. Scott Merkin at 11 o'clock, WhiteSox.com. All that. Yeah, about uh, 14 minutes away. From the second place, White Sox. White Sox talk, tied for second, five wins in a row. Yeah, Scott Merkin, WhiteSox.com will join us. If you're on the hold, I'm going to get to you right now. Let's take a few quick phone calls here, Fred. Okay. Uh, we got uh, Mike has been patient in Chicago Heights. Hey, Mike. Mike, what's up? Maybe he hasn't been patient. We're back on hold. Maybe he can reestablish. Let's see here. Uh, Joe in Orland Park. Hello, Joe. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, uh, where are you going? So, that gun in your hand. Hey, Joe, what's up? <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Going good. So my comment was about the uh, the baseball. Yes, it may possibly be juice, but you see it really significant in other sports that these athletes are just getting bigger. How do you juice stronger. the ball? How do you juice the ball? I don't That's even... what I'm saying. How, yeah, how do you... I don't get it. Okay. I think it's really just a combination of 
the athletes getting much bigger, much faster. These field dimensions never change. They never move the fences back. Uh, and now they're swinging harder. They're swinging for the fences. And also these pitchers are throwing harder, too. So that contact with the baseball is going through the roof. Everything you say is true. But let me ask you, why is it dramatically uh, jumping up since just a year ago? Uh, this would be, you think, linear, sort of creeping up over time, as you point out. Everything you say is true. But why is there a dramatic jump uh, from last year to this year, Joe? I think it's just everyone is, you know, in on this launch angle. You know, people are shifting on people and people aren't hitting the ball the opposite ways. You know, you see Joey Gallo, they put nine people on the right side of the infield and he's still trying to hit it 450 to right field. Better to put nine guys in the right field bleachers. Of course, he goes Apo too. (laughs) He goes 450 Apo. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, Gallo is actually the amazing thing with Gallo is I want to say he's hitting 270. So it's actually uh, a lot more than people would uh, yeah. would expect. Well, he's never he's, done that. He used no. to be like two. Yeah, 10, two he's, he's not a he's not an average hitter. Yeah. And uh, you know, swinging for the fences, the launch angle, and all this stuff. I thought one of the coolest things that Chris Bryant said when he was laughing because people kept talking to him about being the, like the guru of launch angle. He said the important thing that his dad taught him was. Try, just you've got to hit the ball into the outfield. You got to get the ball out of the infield. The infield is just you know it's death. You you can't do that. You got to get the ball into the outfield, and that's what he's he tries to do. And it's funny, even when he doesn't hit the home run, you'll see even most of his hits are bloopers, but they're all over the infield. He'll get a blooper to short center, short right center, short left center, over the infield. He doesn't get a lot of singles. Uh, He got one yesterday, I think, but he doesn't get a lot of those ground ball singles. What if you played four outfielders for a guy like that? You could do that. You mentioned short center field earlier in the show, 16-inch softball, or rover, some people call it. Right. It's tough with Bryant, though, because when Bryant... I'm in though, but yeah. Yeah, doesn't hit a lot of... uh, uh, you know, he'll hit a lot of bloopers to, to short right center. So the question just is going to be where are you yeah. going to play your other guy? You know, it's weird. You look at uh, what they call spray charts, you know, where guys yeah. hit the ball. And it's amazing. Most, I don't want to say most, a heck of a lot more than you would think of left-handed power hitters. They ground out to the right side. Yeah. But they hit the fly balls to center, left center as much as they pull them. They pull grounders. But yet the deep fly balls, well, more than you would ever guess, go straight sure. up, straight away or a little bit the other way. It's, it's weird. Well, and it's funny. You look at Rizzo and Hayward. Rizzo and Hayward both hit a lot of fly yeah. balls to left center. Like the first time I saw was a good old Adam Dunn. Sorry uh-huh. to bring his name up, Fred. Adam Dunn. Yeah, he just wasn't good here. No. He was good everywhere else. He ground out to the right side, but he had a lot of his homers uh, straight on and, yeah. and to the left. Hey, you said something uh you were on yesterday, yeah. Yes, with uh, yeah. I was on yesterday with uh, Chris Black. We were in oh, for yeah. Cap, Miss Little Miss Love. Yep. I, I heard most of the show, very nice. And you, I think, said uh, in baseball, June first tomorrow. Yeah. You know, you said it's not early yeah, anymore. It's not early anymore. Yeah. And uh, I jotted that down. Yeah. I go, that's pretty good. June first, not it, early anymore. You're a third of the way through the season. When is it not early? When is it early? But maybe this is the one where just about uh, 54 games is one third. Most teams have played about 56 games. Or yeah, whatever. some people will say Memorial Day. So you know, and sometimes Memorial Day could be the 30th or 31st, mm-hmm. depending on schedules and calendars and all that kind of you stuff. You know what Andy McPhail, F-A-I-L, used to say? What? I, I still get my blood pressure up when I think about the years that he ran the Cubs. He used to say, 
Well, uh, one we we look at one hundred games. One hundred games. Yeah, that's a lot long. That's well, a lot more than being. That's what. Yeah. That's uh, July first, July tenth, whatever. Let's see. He said, "Oh, whatever." Yeah. And, and you know why he said that? Because by then, a hundred games are well, going by, later and then they're in the tank. It's probably July fifteenth. That's right before the all the trade deadline. He didn't want anyone asking him anything on uh, June first. How yeah. come the team's uh, uh, twelve below five hundred? Yeah. Well, we we don't make a decision until we get to about uh, the one hundred game mark. Yeah, that's way too long. Oh, he was the worst. Way too long. Let's go to uh... <laughs> Mike is uh, in Chicago Heights now on ESPN one thousand. Michael. Hey, Michael and Fred, you guys are the best. What's up, Mike? Hey, uh, listen, a uh, couple things. We know the Cubs need a, rel- uh, you know, a relief pitcher big time because uh, Kinsler, I, I, he doesn't belong in the major leagues. He belongs in Iowa right now because, well... I kind of like Kinsler. I don't think he's been pitching all that bad, actually. You know, it's not something we're going to debate here uh, for a long time. He had three up, three down, two strikeouts, and a little tap. And the ninth inning, I mean, you know what? There's a lot of guys worse than him. Wait, that you wouldn't well, yeah, I know. There's a guy named, uh, he's a Japanese guy that walked the first two guys, right. throws a wild pitch, right, and okay, he makes let, $126 let me, million. Dollars. All right, let me get you off the hook. You're saying you don't really want Kinsler as your ninth inning lockdown closer. No, oh, okay, no, no, right. no. I'd rather have, you know, okay, okay. trophy. Okay, though he has closed. In the past. In fact, one of the things that you have to give a, a tip, I appreciate your call. One of the things you have to give a tip of the hat to Theo, he's got guys that have been ninth inning closers. Yeah. And you got Brock, and, and you got Seashack, uh, and you got Kinsler, who have all been ninth inning guys. I have a hard time. Uh, I, I know this is going to rub you the wrong way in most Cub fans, but I have a hard time sitting here, hearing people say Brock and then not thinking of Brolio immediately afterwards. Luckily, it's spelled differently. No, I know. I know it is. I know. You know, for a long, long Could time... Could be Brock, Brock Candy. That's that's spelled the same way. <laughs> it is. For a long, long time, the uh, Cubs' all-time roster, alphabetical, like every, right. you know... A Brock and Brolio were next, next, to, each next other. to each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Who's this Brolio, Merv? Well, he's right next to Brock. Just look him up. No, not anymore. There's a couple new ones. Okay. Hey, let's talk a little White Sox when we return. Uh, Scott Merkin uh, from WhiteSox.com. And I got some... Uh, Merkin's going to join us around 1130 now. Because, oh, is that right? Yeah, because Ricky oh, okay. Renteria is talking with the uh, okay. the gathered crowd. It's an afternoon game on the uh, south side. So Great. So, yeah, we'll get Merkin around 1130. I'm going tomorrow. Lovely Dan and I. Yeah. Should well, be a nice day tomorrow. Going to be out in the old right field bleachers there, right next to the Goose Island, uh, the Goose yep. Island uh, seating area. Uh-huh. Doesn't mean I can't have one, right? No. Lovely day. Vote right now. We're going to have the results of this has been rolling since 8 o'clock. Vote now, please. Uh, Should MLB teams be legally responsible for fans' injuries suffered by foul balls? Yes or no? And most foul ball injuries are due to the fact that the fan is not paying attention. True or false? That when we return, it's ESPN 1000. From downtown Chicago, broadcasting live from the first Midwest Bank studio on State Street, this is ESPN 1000 WMVP Chicago. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. 11 o'clock, hour number three. Murph and Fred, Saturdays, nine till noon. 
Talk a little Sox baseball later this hour with Scott Merkin, WhiteSox.com, covering the Ricky Renteria presser, as they they like to call it. I don't. So uh, you'll be with us in a little while. Fred, let's bring in Eric Ostrowski here. Eric, we've been rolling this Twitter poll since about, uh, what, 7.30, 8 o'clock this morning. Uh, MLB teams, uh, should they be legally responsible for the fans' injuries suffered by foul balls? And let's start with number two. First, most foul ball injuries, true or false, are due to the fans not paying attention. I heard this all week, Fred. Oh, you know, with the people looking at the phone and they encourage you at the ballpark with the screen and the interaction. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, everyone, this was common all week. Watch the ball and you won't get hit by it. Let's see what the fans voted here. Eric, foul ball injuries, true or false, due to the fans' fault for not paying attention. Uh, so 49% say true, 51% say false. Oh my God. That's, that's shocking to that me. That never happens. 50-50, very no. rare. That's shocking to me, too, but it's shocking to me that there's that many people that said that is people not paying attention. It doesn't matter if you're paying attention or not, no. to be honest with you. But but if you do remember, and I, you know, I've called Joe out for things. Can't uh, get out of the way. I've called Joe Madden out for things. I know Cub fans have called mm-hmm. him out for things, too. But two years ago, when this topic came up, before they extended it from before the dugouts to past the dugouts, Joe Madden said... You, people need to pay more attention. And I said at the time it was the dumbest thing Joe Madden had ever said. And there are fans at the time, and I'm going to hit this really quickly because I did it yesterday too. There are there are people that said two and a half years ago, there's no reason to extend the netting. You just got to pay more attention. Those people could not be more wrong. Correct. It doesn't make any sense. No. But because a little girl got hit mm-hmm. instead of a 60-year-old man mm-hmm. or instead of a 35-year-old woman... Now, everybody's freaking out and wants to extend it all the way to the foul pole where it should have been done that way yep. three, two and a half, three years ago. So, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm just saying, we always knew that once something bad happened, they were going to change it. But baseball has been slow. Fans didn't want it. MLB didn't want it. But now that a little girl got hit and you saw the reaction, players have wanted this for years, Murph. Yep. Players have wanted, there was a game, it was either a Sox or a Cup game, can't remember which one, where someone from second base was throwing the ball to third, and they overthrew it into the stands and hit a, it hit a fan. Fan had to be carted off the field. And the fans were, the players were so upset. That was like four years ago. Yep. The players have wanted this netting extended all the way to the foul pole for years. And they were unable to get it in the MLB and their negotiations and things like that. And, you know, they thought other things were more important. Well, we saw now what happened, and we're, we're going to see a change eventually real soon. I've told this story once before. I apologize. I was at Miller Park about five, seven years ago and uh, with a pal of mine, and we were fortunate enough to uh, get the visiting team's owner's box, uh-huh. box seats. First two rows... Between the, well, third base is the visiting dugout in Milwaukee. First row, front row, between the dugout and the on-deck circle. Sitting there, you're about 10 feet from the on-deck circle, which is about 10 feet from the home plate. Yeah. I was terrified the whole game. It's unbelievable. If the ball had been fouled my way, uh-huh. I would have had no chance. No chance to get out of the way. You don't have time. Now, on what you just said a minute ago, I'm so glad you mentioned that. 
<clears throat> talking about, uh, well, you hear this too. Well, the fans want to be able to get autographs. And you were touching on that a minute ago. Yeah. You know, does anyone remember this? Tom Rickett said this. I don't have the tape. I don't, I didn't cut it out of the paper or make a picture of it off my phone. Tom Rickett said about three years ago, like you were talking about three, four years, Fred, ago, fans like to get autographs. Uh-huh. I'll never forget. Yeah. He said that as, you know, a reason why. To not have the netting. To not have the net. Yeah. And it's not money, because I read it's like 15 grand for every 60 feet. I read that somewhere, whether that's right or not. I saw that last night somewhere, whatever. They were worried that fans weren't going to renew their box seat tickets. Right. Well, it couldn't be more stupid and short-sighted. Uh-huh. Now, do we have cut one handy there, uh, EO? Fred, Yurko gave credit to something that you and I have been... Uh, miss a little, miss a lot. Uh-huh. That's fine. Yurko can't listen to everything all the time. He remembered hearing someone else say this. All right, here we go. This was Yurko the other day. Does Dave Wills need to come back and give the proper etiquette of those fans that are in the first row on both sides? Said that a parent should be sitting first in line in front of his kids. They should be first in the row to sit and help protect the kids. Like in between the ball and the kid should be a parent. I got you. Exactly. Dave Wills, longtime uh, radio man, used to be here. Now he's not. Now he's at Tampa. He does the Tampa uh, Tampa Bay Rays game. Uh, Fred. Let the record show, you and I have been saying this for about 20 years. Well, it's not only child, too. If you take uh, your wife oh, or yeah. your girlfriend right. or your wife and girlfriend well, I'm glad to the game, it up. Yeah. Yeah, you, you always have to make sure you sit between the batter at home plate mm-hmm. and wherever the person's sitting. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, if your, your son wants to be closer, your girlfriend wants to be closer to the plate than you are. No, no, no. You're staying there. Not, not that you're going to be quick enough. But at least you think you're going to be quick enough mm-hmm. to get in front of the ball instead of having it hit your yeah. spouse or loved one who's closer to the to the action. Right. Maybe sacrifice yourself, you yeah. know, and uh, bring a glove. If you I think you can do it, because HBO Real Sports did a whole feature mm-hmm. about a year or so ago or two years ago when this thing came up again. You don't have time. And you don't have time. They yeah. put guys, they put people on the field with plexiglass there. And he said, hey, we're going to hit you a, lot, a ball. No he goes, once the ball is hit. And every single time, their glove wasn't up before it hit the plexiglass. Right. Which means, he goes, basically, this means you would have been now, hit. Now, let's go, uh, Eric Ostrowski. Let's bring in the results from uh, this poll question. Should Major League Baseball teams be legally responsible for fans' injuries suffered by foul balls? Now, Here's a couple pieces that I uh, pulled this week. This happened to be from the Tribune, uh, Tim Banyan, and uh, Phil Rosenthal. Uh, Major League teams, okay, the question was, don't teams fear lawsuits from injured patrons, fans, and their families, you know, hit by a a ball? Uh, Probably, uh, they probably fear it, but not as much as you might think, the Tribune says. The teams have been shielded largely by what's known in legal circles as the assumption of risk doctrine. Uh, though many know it simply as, quote, the baseball rule. Oh, what a nice rule, unquote. It dates back, are you ready for this, to 1913. Fine print that originated on the back of the tickets and is still on the tickets, or they say whatever is right. you know used as a ticket these days, of course. There's language. 
And yeah, I now remember. It's probably not a, now it's probably not on your digital ticket. It's some, well, but they don't care. They well, say, well, well, you should have looked it up. Yeah. Lester Munson. We had, uh, and Lester, great Chicago guy. guy. Maybe yep. Lester's listening right now. A longtime Chicago uh, attorney, sports attorney. 15, 20 years ago, we'd ask him, oh, no, he really got no chance. You know, let me read on. The ticket says that you assume all risks and dangers. The uh, legal uh, certainty uh, of the, the document has long afforded, but it, it, it could erode here over time, uh, it says. But courts, here we go, courts have tended to accept that your safety is your responsibility. Then they go, you're kidding, right? <laughs> no, not even a little. Lawsuits brought by injured fans against MLB rarely succeed. So I sort of uh, tricked you with this question. Should Major League uh, teams be legally responsible for fans' injuries? You probably assume they already were. Uh, yes or no? Uh, one of the fans... Uh, oh, Eric's on the phone right now. All right. Uh, Fred, if I were a lawyer... Well, I know what I would say. Yeah. And I'm sorry, fans, but no. The, in my opinion, the team should not be uh, liable for it because I, I agree. You do take – you risk everything. I mean, you you risk – you know what it is. There's It's baseball. The ball's getting hit hard. Um, I would say no, they shouldn't be. But Really? Yeah. I know. You got no chance. Now – you're the, you, but you've said for the last few minutes, I still uh, say four it. years ago, they uh, should have put these nets up. No, no, I'm right. Uh, they should have. A good lawyer would twist them into a pretzel. Yeah, well. Number one, they'd say, well, why are you putting these up now? I got someone who was injured two years ago. Yeah. Now, here's another one. If I were a lawyer, thank goodness I'm not. Here's my other, next argument. Now, wait a minute. The balls are juiced up now. Well, how do you prove that? Well, I happen to have a few from uh, five years ago, four years yeah. ago. We have a new one. We cut it open. We took it to a lab. Your balls are... Now, why are the balls juiced up, Mr. MLB uh, representative lawyer on the other side here? Why are the balls juiced? To make them go faster, right? Okay. Or so, farther. Yeah. Whatever. But right. now you're intentionally making it more difficult for the fan to avoid the ball. No concern of the safety of the fans. You're juicing that ball up for profit. I'll give you another thing I would say if I were the lawyer. I'd say, here's another thing. And I got the facts right here. You've, MLB's been, ball teams have been systematically shrinking foul territory. Why? To put more high-priced tickets in, seats in, right? That's true. So, now I got the uh, uh, judge, I say, or the jury, say, look, number one, they waited all these years to extend the uh, uh, netting, so they knew they had uh, liability, a prob- potential problems. Number two, now we can prove here that the balls are juiced so that they go faster, so you have a more profit margin. And you're eliminating foul territory inch by inch here over time, so you have the people sitting even closer to, to the uh, home plate. Let's bring in Eric now. Eric? Should uh, MLB teams be responsible? Should MLB be responsible? Yes or no? What do the fans say? 58% of the fans agree with Fred saying MLB should not be legally responsible. Wow. Interesting. Then why are they, then why are they putting up a sc- the screens? <laughs> it's bad PR. That's why. 
it's bad PR having play, having people get hurt. Well, you know, but I don't think they should be responsible for it. Well, we're not going to. Everyone knows NHL. They had the death behind the. Yeah, they waited until there was a death there, and then they put mm-hmm. the nets up. Yeah, so of course. And now they're at every every hockey rink everywhere. So the next question is, why are there more? Let, let me uh, be more of a lawyer here. Fred, would you agree, and you've watched baseball as long yep. as uh, I have, would you agree that there are more, I'm going to call them screamers. That seems to be the new word. Have you heard that? Everyone uses the word screamers now. Not pop fouls. Right. Are there more screamers going into the stands now than there were when you were a kid? Uh, before the uh, before the nets were put up beyond mm-hmm. the dugouts, I'd yeah. say yes. Okay. I say, yeah, there were. Plus, if Addison Russell's at the plate, his bat's coming at you. Because <laughs> he he would do it six or seven times a year. He hasn't done it yet this year that I've seen him throw the bat. But uh, Someone lost one last night. It might have been a, a Cub player, and he looked terrified back and was happy to see it hit the, the right, screen. Right. Well, now you got to worry about your hitting well, your own player all right. who's on now, the odd deck Here's circle. another one if I'm the lawyer. And I'm uh, I'm trying to uh, get some money out of MLB for my poor client who lost an eye. Well, why why has there been a screen behind home plate since uh, 1890? <laughs> that just dawned on me. Well, because more balls go back there. Oh. Yeah, a lot more. Okay, but... So let's go back to... I have a theory on this, Fred. Listen, people getting hurt at your place of work is is, is a bad is a bad PR thing. So that's why the netting is never need to good. be up. No, that's why the nettings need to be up. But I do not think that the, they should be liable for it. So the ice cube maker sprung a leak, and I was walking to the bathroom in your restaurant, and I fell and broke my hip. Now I know there's a lot of slip and fall people. That's not what I'm talking. About. I'm talking legit, uh-huh. legit. If that ice cube maker springs a leak, the Manitowoc Cuber springs a leak, and uh, they don't have any yellow uh, right. tape up there, like yeah. yellow tape. But think about it. There's no doubt in my mind that there are more balls hit into the stands, sure. line drives near the dugouts than there were 20, 30 years ago. So the question would be, if we if we agree on that premise, uh-huh. why? Well, I'll tell you why. I think I know. Let's I had a couple of reasons why. All right, good, good. Elmhurst Steve, Murph and Fred, Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, are, I, you you, are you an attorney? Are you an attorney? No, I'm not. All right, good. You don't even want to play one on, like I am doing on the, on the radio? Not on the radio, <laughs> not on television, no, in no circumstance. Um, I, I want to ask you a few questions. Uh, do you, When you uh, are home watching ball games on, on television, do you, do you watch it on a black and white or a color TV? <laughs> color. Well, I dream in okay. I, I dream in black and white, but at home, yes, I, I do have a color TV. I upgraded okay. it a year ago from black and, and white. And is it a 19-inch uh, color TV, or is it a, is it a widescreen? Well, the 19-inch, the tube went out about 10 years ago, so I had to break down and get uh, a big one, yeah. Okay, and uh, do, you, do you watch it in, in standard definition, or do you prefer to watch it in high definition. Well, high de- I want to get that 4D. Is that what it's called, Fred? Yep. 4D, uh-huh. yeah. There you go. 4K. Because, because you want the clearest view possible, right? Right. Okay, and that's why I don't want the screening further down. Tell people, hey, you know what? These uh, Beyond the bases, 
is an area where we recommend you not have small children seated. And um, if you do choose to sit in those areas beyond the screening that's already been installed to protect a great number of the fans, um, that, that then you are at risk to, and you are choosing to put yourself and your child at risk. Um, I don't want, I, I moved my seats from, from like 130 to 135 just to get away from the dang screen. Well, let because- me mention this. Stay on the line, Steve. Fred, uh, I was at a Cub game uh, about a month ago behind the first base dugout where there is the extended screen, which was new last year. And frankly, after the first pitch or two, I didn't notice it. But that's just me, Steve. How often have you been behind the new screens and they bother you? Oh, then, absolutely. Right? Right, and they cool. bother the heck out of me. And I'll tell All you, right. the, the worst part is mm-hmm. when the sun is going down and there's a, and it's at a, at a particularly uh, bad angle where I've it starts this. really shining down uh-huh. onto the screen. It it creates a tremendous uh, amount of glare. See, I'm glad to, I've heard this anecdotally, but I never heard from anyone that actually this really does. I mean, it occurs, right? I've heard this. The Fred you ever heard this? I no, have I moved. I, I go right. and see the you know the I, last you know a couple of years. But that's only I, I for about Andy ten Frank minutes. Guy, hey, that's, I got to move. That's all. I love it, the Andy Frank guy. That's all, only for about ten minutes. But okay, Steve, thanks for the call. Fun I again. I've been to two games this year on the south mm-hmm. side, and I sat uh, four rows back of the uh, visitors' dugout, and there's netting there. And after the second inning, you don't think about it. I didn't think about it ever again. I, I was more relaxed watching the game, watching each and every pitch, because knowing that if a ball was hit like a rocket, I wouldn't have to worry about defending myself. It made the viewing of the game much more enjoyable. So that's just me. I, was at, I understand what Steve was saying. Uh, no, I was at the Blackhawks, a uh, Blackhawk game last season, about fifteen rows back behind the net, and you know, it, for the first few minutes, it's sort of oh, what. I never noticed it again. Yeah, but that was just me. Right now, he did. He did bring up a good point. Steve brought up a good point that when you go to a game, and you know, I, I'm I am an old guy with no kids. So anytime I bring up a point about bringing young kids to baseball games, people criticize me because I don't have any children. Um, but what I'm going to say is if you do bring a young kid to the game, you should either be sitting in the outfield, in the upper deck, or behind the screen. Because there's no way you can pay attention. The kid, the child, there's no, absolutely no way they can pay attention. So if you decide to bring an infant or a one-year-old or two-year-old or three-year-old or four-year-old to a game, you should be sitting behind the net or bring, if you're sitting in, fair, in foul territory. Or bring a glove. Did you, uh, did you hear Doug Lanville? No, I'm leading up to Did you hear Doug Lanville? No. He says when he goes to a game, this is a you know, 10-year-plus center fielder. Right. And now does a great job, uh, you know, on, on media. He says he brings a glove when he, he still goes. Brings to, a glove? When he goes, like, for protection. Yeah. And he says, if I'm too close, I don't even know if I could get my glove up in time. Sure. Now, the other thing, the attorneys are going to be the ones that tell ML, the MLB attorneys are going to say, put the screen up. We have too much liability. And why do I also say that? The Wrigley Field basket, right? The home run basket. Right. It went up. May of 1970. Okay. For one reason. I found this out many years later from an attorney that had been with the uh, Wrigley family. And then with the, with, with, I'm sorry, with the Tribune family, but found out when the Tribune bought the details on the basket. The basket was put up because 
Mr. Wrigley's insurance carrier said we will not cover liability for anyone falling out of the bleachers sure. and landing on the warning track. I think they're looking at me walking around with the, my bugle after 18 schlitz. Well, you know. there were two things that were done at that time. They they put up the they put up the the fencing, right? And they also took the top of the wall and they made it a triangle, rounded. a concrete triangle. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, so you couldn't walk. Yeah, on. it's kind of rounded, so you can't walk on it because people would yeah. would just walk back and forth. Well, we did that. on that. Yeah. yeah, and and it makes sense. That that's completely different because that you're then you're falling out of stands and things like that. I could have owned the Wrigley Gum Company if I had just fallen. Yeah, at ballparks, I'm you know, I, I would wonder. I wonder if vendors are protected if they get hit. Because they're working. They're an employee. Yeah. But knowing that these days, they probably make them subcontractors where they're not liable. Yeah. It's a possibility. I mean, I have not. Yeah. So if the, netting, if the netting is so hard to see through, how are catchers so easily catching 9,500 mile an hour pitches? And how are hockey goalies able to make pu- stops on pucks? Every fan should get a mask and a chest <laughs> <Yeah>. protector <laughs> and shin guards, and then the thing would be fine. Thanks, Eric. Good point. Sean is next in Chicago. Hey, Sean. Hey, good morning, guys. I would like to uh, tell a story that I have uh, about six, seven years ago. Uh, and this is in response to you, you know, if you have children, you should fit in the outfield, upper deck, bleachers. I'm in the 400 section, left field, upper deck, left side foul pole at a Giants game, and a left-handed batter sent a shot or a rope along the third baseline, which hooked right into the 400 upper deck section of Wrigley. And we were all packed in, and, uh, of course, you're having a few beverages, you're with your family, all the kids are lined up, you feel pretty safe up there, but really you're not because the, the surge, what happens is everybody ducks and you feel the push, and if it wasn't for the armrest, the wrought iron armrest at Wrigley Field, the ball would have probably hit my daughter in the face or the chest because mm-hmm. when little kids sit in those reclining, when the chairs hold up and down, by the time a, a child sits into that chair, the, the edge of it lifts up and then the kid sinks down into the chair. So if it wasn't for the armrest, it would have been a foul ball to the face. But the, the point is, is, it came down to my responsibility. If I take my child to those games, it doesn't matter where you sit in that ballpark. You can be coming out of the bathroom with a hot dog and somebody smokes the ball down the aisle right into the entranceway of the hot dog stand. I mean, it's, you're not safe. But the thing is, is like I felt responsible because I allowed that to happen. Nice contribution, and we're yeah. we're very uh, happy that your daughter uh, was okay. Yeah, it's funny. I never Thank thought you. of a, I never thought about it being that far up because you do have a little bit more time. I mean, it is still hit. It's still a line drive, but you do have a little more time than you have where you're sitting right behind the dugout. I'll tell you something else. The ball does what's called a banana hook. Yeah. Now. Even if you think you're attentive, that ball doesn't come straight at you. It's got an unbelievable banana hook. A left-handed hitter, banana hooks it to the left side, and it goes to the left. Or if he pulls it, it goes to the right, vice versa. The other thing now that Doug Glanville said, there's also the problem with the deflection. He says, even when I'm there with my glove, 
if I'm 10th row or whatever, this ball coming out, the guy in front of it puts his hand up and deflects it like a, uh, like a goalie, right. you know, deflecting a shot. Yeah. And boom, now it's off, off uh, course and you got no chance. Years ago, we went to the old ballpark at, uh, Comiskey. My family, we had tickets that, uh, we had through my dad at Olympic Savings Alone and we were box 44. We were just to the right of the screen. So we were never in protected territory. We always had to watch for foul balls. There was a foul ball that came back over our heads, but as they is at Wrigley Field, there's big pillars and big posts in the reserve section. It hit the post, yeah. came back, and hit my mom in the back. And we didn't even get the damn ball. We said, Ma, come on! Huh. We didn't get the ball. And our caller just said, how about when you're walking up? Here's a good one from the concession stand, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's the sign that says, uh, beware of flying baseballs. Yeah. Well, you can't see them coming. You're walking up. And I'm watching NBC Sports Chicago last night. After the post game, they did the thing now where they got the three super fans. Right. And they got a fake, like, little, uh, uh, you know, man cave they're in with the pictures in the back. And you know what they have? One of the, uh, the old one school. One of those signs? It, it's a, it's a redo, but it's got the, uh, Otis Shepard, the artist from the 40s, 50s, yeah. 60s that did all the Cub artwork and the uh, scorecards. And it's got the, you know, the smiling Cub walking and, you know, beware of baseballs. And I'm looking at that. And it that. says it right there? Well, yeah, it's the one that they still have <laughs> okay. at the ballpark. Yeah. You cannot be aware yeah. when you're walking up those stairs. No, so, that's why you should only go to get yeah. something to eat between innings. But, uh, you know, uh, they're not liable due to the, uh, quote, assumption of risk doctrine, simply known as the baseball rule on the back of your ticket. Uh, the Tribune calls it the fine print since 1913. Murph and Fred. Hey, we're going to visit in a minute uh, Scott Merkin. White Sox are red hot. WhiteSox.com. It's ESPN 1000. Oh, yeah? yeah? Sort of a rule of mine. At least once or twice per show. Tease something and then forget to pay it off. One minute away from Scott Merkin. Talking White Sox over at uh, WhiteSox.com. So, it appears to me that in the last 20, 30, 40 years, there is a much, much greater, a uh, larger number of foul balls, not pop fouls, pop foul. No, come on. Right. Screamers or uh -huh. liners, you know, into the... Uh, Dug out uh, down uh, to where maybe the bullpens used to be, you know, at, at ballparks around. And I'm trying to figure out why am I wrong? I don't think I am. There never used to be, like, I'm talking a long time ago. There were never this many liners into the box seats, uh -huh. you know, over the dugout or just past the dugout. And then I, then I think, what do you think, Fred? Here's what I'm thinking. Up until about 25 years ago, pitchers would throw inside and dust you. Okay. Knock, knock you back. Not hit you in the head, not being you. Push you off the plate. I own half, I own the inside corner. And we know now that in our polite society, or for whatever reason, pitchers don't like to, uh, move you off the plate. You know, push you back. You know, a little chin music just to keep you loose. So now, batters are like a Rizzo. Batters now stand right on the plate. Yep. All batters. You, I, I guarantee you, talk to an all-time ball player, say, no, no, we stood back a little bit. Now, if you were standing back off the plate, you're not going to be pulling that many balls 
Because the home plate's farther out. You're reaching out to hit the ball, right? You wouldn't think so. You're not yeah. going to be yanking that many. But now, you stand on the plate, and even a strike or a pitch an inch or two in sight, boom, now you're, twi- you're turning on it, and it's going over the same side, uh, you know, dugout. Yeah, I could. Because there's no doubt in my mind, there's many, many more than ever before uh, balls being jerked over the uh, dugout. Well, they keep those numbers. They keep those stats. I don't know if they do. Not, yeah. Well, not from 20, 25 years ago. No. Yeah. Scott Morgan wasn't even around then. Let's talk a little Sox baseball. In the white room with black curtains is a station. Hey, fans, let's go over to Guaranteed Ray Field or Sox Park, if you were going to call it I was going to say, let's go over to WhiteSox.com. Oh, okay. Well, that too. You always want to go there. <laughs> hey, Scott Murph here, front alongside. Thanks for checking in. Good morning. Good morning. I'm just kind of laughing that I wasn't around 25 years yeah. ago. So I, I've done this for 17 nah. years. I, I started at age seven covering the White Sox, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate yeah. you making me younger than I am, Murph. That's yeah. always, it's always, it's always acceptable. Uh, you used to come on with me when you were seven years old about 25 <laughs> year, years ago, as yeah. I recall. There you go. Yeah. There you go. A long, a long, a long-term friendship on the radio. Oh, you, you're the best. And you're always there for, for uh, us and uh, uh, the station. Scott, before we get to the uh, red White Sox. What do you think of my theory there? Years ago, I don't remember uh, this many uh, these many uh, line drive uh, screamers going, you know, over the dugout. Uh, and, and now I'm wondering. Well, you know, the batters didn't used to hang over the plate like they do now. If you were six, eight. 12 inches back off the plate uh, away, it'd be much less uh, less often that you'd be yanking a ball over the uh, pole side uh, uh, dugout. Uh, now, batters, and, you know, times change. They stand on the plate now, and, you know, pitchers, it's a different era. I'm not saying one's good, one's bad, but, you know, you don't see guys getting pushed back very often anymore. Yeah, I think that has that has a little to do with it. I think it's also, you know, players, you know, offensive players, especially are just bigger guys. You know, I mean, the, you know, I don't think there was, I don't remember as much because I wasn't covering the team, you know, teams back then as regularly. But I think you see a lot more, you know, off season weight training and just conditioning and different ways of conditioning. Plus, there's the whole, you know, launch angle and focus on exit velocity and that kind of thing. But so why does that, excuse me, but why does that result now in more balls? Because they're swinging going, harder than they were. They don't try to just make contact now. They're swinging harder. But it's got to be quicker. Harder's got nothing to do with it. No. They never used to drive the ball. Well, that, and harder and quicker are pretty much the same oh, thing. Okay. In my, in my mind. <laughs> well, because you're quicker, not going to, you're not going to swing harder to hit a, you know, a, you know, just to make contact. You're going to, you know, you're swinging harder. You're, you know, we're right. more worried about. That's why I think there's more. More, bat, more I wrote bat it down speed. here. Players looking for launch angle. More bat speed, maybe. Yep. I, I know we. I know in uh, at Target Field last weekend, we had four foul balls come up on the press box, and that's scary for us right mm. there. You know, coming backwards. But, but yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. It, it'd be a good thing to look up because. I can't remember 25, 30 years ago if there were less yeah, right. foul balls. I just know in general, and Yonder Alonso made a great comment about this yesterday, in that you know they have guys who have gloves and are skilled athletes, and they can't see the ball all the time coming at them when it's hit that hard. And yeah. I think I think it's you you know so fans basically have little to no chance in those kind of situations, and especially you know it was just so horrible the other night. A, a young fan. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the inner, you know, not pitching inside as much. I think you're right. There isn't as much pitching inside as much. But 
I do also think it's this whole generation of, you know, just more weight training, more focus on the style of hitting as opposed to just hitting and that, you know, resulting in just harder hits overall. You know, more, as they would say, more of the exit velocity focus, yeah. you know, hitting as opposed to, I don't know the reason for why they're, you know, you think there's more pulled foul balls one way or the other. Hey, Scott, uh, I'm watching the game last night. I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching the, the first inning and I'm saying, okay, Dylan Covey's going to have a, going to go out and have himself a good game. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I thought that, Lindor's launching one in the right field and I said, okay, this, this is going to be bad. But you got to give him, you got to give Covey a lot of credit. He, he buckled down. It was the only run he gave up. He goes six innings. They needed a six inning start from him. What are your thoughts on him? Because it, he'll look good for a game or two and then all of a sudden he loses it. I, I know that, um, earlier in the week on, on our station here, uh, Lucas Giolito said a lot of his thing was mental about how he's turned his yes. pitching around. Do you think the same thing with Covey? Yeah, I think Dylan Covey is a real interesting story, Fred, in the sense that, you know, was it three years ago when he was the Rule 5 yeah. addition, and he was part of the rotation when he had barely been above double-A, but that's the rule. If you select the Rule 5, you know, barring some sort of machinations that you work through, he's got to be on that, you know, that active roster for the following year. So this poor guy was getting hit around, you know, when he really wasn't ready for the major leagues, and it was no no fault of his or the White Sox. He just wasn't ready yet, but that was how it worked out. But he also has told us a number of times that he learned a ton that year. You know, he learned a lot, and he's, he's you know, worked his way through that. And there were a lot of good moments for him last year. I mean, I think people point to one of the highlights of the year was that one nothing victory over Boston when Kobe and Chris Sale went yeah. head-to-head and, and Dylan got the win. So the ability is there. He's got a ton of movement on his pitches, and I think he's just learning as he's going. And, I, you know, barring something unexpected, and, you know, I think the only one who's really going to get called up in that rotation is Dylan Cease at some point in the near future. I think Dylan, Dylan Covey is going to have a chance to start for the rest of this year. So he's going to get a better chance now. He's the best equipped he's been as part of the White Sox to really show what he can do over, you know, 20, 25 starts. I was piling on some of your, your tweets last night. Uh, you know, the, the <laughs> only thing that aggravated me about last night's game, and you would think with Ricky's guys, this wouldn't happen anymore, but the blooper that Moncada had over the third baseman's head, how he wasn't standing on second base, Charlie Tilson bailed him out by getting that doubled on the line. Otherwise, they might not have scored that inning. It would have been all on Moncada for not hustling out of the box. That surprised me, and I've seen it a few times from him. Uh, he's been striking out a little bit more. Does he seem moody when he's on the field to you, or I mean, he doesn't—he doesn't seem to smile at all. I know that's a stupid comment from a sports guy, but <laughs> but he just doesn't seem to enjoy a whole lot of things. And you know, he's been striking out a lot lately. Uh, he's up to sixty right now. Well, neither do you, Fred. Oh, smile no, a lot. I, I almost never do, but most people don't aren't watching me. But but I mean, you know, I know it's a pop up, but just run a little bit. I mean, Lurie Garcia runs. I mean, anybody can run out of the box on a ball like that. Yeah, I have to admit, I wasn't. Wa- that was one time where I, w- I was watching more the Indians trying to do what they could to surround that baseball yeah. and short left <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, and I, 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 I wasn't watching him out of the box, but yeah, he probably kind of said. But in, in answer to your question, I, I think he does enjoy baseball. And I think he handles things very, very well. For instance, you know, last year he went through a real tough time, especially after he came back from, I believe it was a hamstring injury, and he struggled pretty much the rest of the year. But he understood. You know, he was kind of wise beyond his years, and then he understood that this is my first full year in the majors. Not everyone clicks and hits 300 with 25 homers the first time they're out there, even if you have his level of talent. 
And he took it upon himself, kind of what Lucas Giolito did, which they both deserve a ton of credit, right. to get this fixed in the offseason. And he talked to Todd Severson, the hitting coach, and Ricky Renteria, this is Moncada I'm talking about, before the end of the year and said, let's do some work, you know, aside from everything else we have set up in this offseason. I'm going to come to Arizona, and we're going to do some, you know, some study sessions on film and everything else. And he changed his hands in his approach. And he had a great month of April. And, you know, he's not quite as good in May. But, I mean, it's not going to be – as Rick Hahn would say, linear every month, where it's going to be every month is going to be the same thing. There's going to be some ups and downs. But I think he looks very comfortable third. And yeah, I, I, he's just a very low key kid. You know, okay. he, he does have fun. He talks to us. He has fun. You know, he, I remember last year joking with us when he, I don't remember, he was diving for a ball at second and his belt broke <laughs> and like kind of showed us the belt and all that. You know, I mean, he, he has a good time out there. It's just, that's his personality. Not everyone is Yomer Sanchez, you know, where it's going to be sure. very kind of upfront and going all the time kind of thing. Fred, your belt has never broken. No, I, I stopped wearing them, <laughs> as a matter of fact. It broke too many times. <laughs> Scott Merkin, couple more minutes, WhiteSox.com. Check him out. The, the bullpen has a couple nice pieces. And uh, Rick Hahn, the tip of the hat, yeah, it's a gamble. You guys in the offseason, but a uh, bummer. Uh, yes, that's his name, and he has not been a bummer. Uh, lefty throws hard. Marshall, I don't know where he came from. He's been getting guys out. Cola May, as we know. Uh, and uh, overall, the bullpen's been... And you're not going to sneak up on the 500 record. They're one under right now, 28 and 29, without some bright spots like that in the, in the uh, bullpen, Scott. No, no question about it. You know, Calame is an interesting case because, you know, it was a good trade for both teams. Omar Narvaez, who they, you know, who was probably going to be one of their frontline catchers, has had a real nice year with Seattle, uh, as, as the other part of that trade. But Calame is a guy who, you know, two years removed, saved 47 games and led the American League. So now the question for the White Sox is, you know, they're, they're one game under 500. They've put together, as you said, a nice bullpen. Calme, they have another year of arbitration control over him. And he's, it's not like he's, you know, an older guy in the game. But, you know, he's probably their biggest trade asset that they mm. could really get maybe a couple top 100 picks, especially he's just been lights out this year. He's been, you know, he had, I think he's retired 24 of his last 25 hitters he's faced. Forget about innings. He's given up one hit in like the last 24, 25 guys he's faced. So, you know, if you're Rick Hahn, you go out there and say, okay, you know, we can move him if our exact asking price is met. And if not, then, you know, we carry him through and maybe even think about, you know, extending him out and maybe make him the the anchor of the bullpen and let some of these yeah. younger talents they have fill in around him. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, and then Bummer's been a great story. Bummer didn't have a very good spring. But, he you know, he's told me and he's told other reporters that his, his focus is better and his confidence is there. And Marshall's a great story. Been getting some key ground balls later. So, I mean, they're – They've really kind of worked as the season has gone on to kind of put this bullpen together. They have a pretty good unit right now, it looks like. Just got 2,012 messages. Would you ask him about Dylan Cease, Murph, please? <laughs> now, Dylan Cease, I understand, no more pitch count. Uh, he's had some nice outings in a row. What's the plan, Stan? I think I would virtually guarantee, and maybe it's a little strong, but he will be up before the All-Star break. He will get a start. He will start as part of the rotation before the All-Star break, whether that means in, you know, two more starts in Charlotte or whether that means four more starts in Charlotte and he comes near the end of the month, he will be up before the All-Star break and be part of the rotation for the entire second half of the White Sox. Okay, I'm going to ask you an easy one. Uh, Will Aloy Jimenez hit a home run at guaranteed rate this year? I am going to say, you remember the old uh, Magic 8-Balls you shook? Oh, yes! Talking Magic 8-Balls. 
Signs pointing definitely to yes on that one. <laughs> okay. I, I will, I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, Freddie's going to hit one in one of these last two games against Cleveland. How about that? There we go. I'll be, so, something to look forward to. Hey, Scott. Right, uh, there you go. Uh, always good, but uh, uh, do, uh, do, do us a favor. If you see Jerry uh, Reinsdorf today, don't tell him uh, yesterday Fred said... White Sox should cut the price of the tickets in half. All the tickets, see yeah. if they if they if they want to get boosted boost our attendance yeah. this year, cut all the prices in half, then they can get double the attendance and still make the same money. Jerry just drove off the road. Let me let me say something real quick in closing. You know, whatever the the crowd number is, it's been a really vocal crowd this year. I think they're really getting in. I mean, let's face it, cool. last year was not good record wise right. and the play wasn't great overall either. You know, overall in big picture. So I think people are really getting excited by, you know, whatever. Let's say they finish from anywhere from 78 to 83 wins this year. That is a huge step up. And when you see the young guys coming, I think people really know the kind of the worst is behind for the White Sox. And they're getting into these games. They're supporting this team. Tell Jerry that uh, I am going tomorrow with my lovely okay. wife, Dan, and about 15 uh, members of her family. And uh, Sunday is a great purchase. They got all kind of deals on tickets. Yep. The parking lots, I believe, are uh, at 10 and a half yeah. price on Sunday. And it's going to so, be nice out tomorrow. And the weather will be great. So we'll be It's some- a rarity, though. There'll be no rain in a Sox game tomorrow. I'll be somewhere yeah, that, out. That's a rain in Chicago, period. Out near the Goose Island. So uh, swing by. I'll uh, buy you uh, one or two uh, Well, after the game. Yeah, okay? he doesn't drink on the after, job. After the, after the game. After the game. Hey, thanks as always, Scott. Get back to work now. Thanks, Scott. Okay, guys. Anytime. Take care. <laughs> Scott Merkin, WhiteSox.com. couple final minutes here with Murph and Fred. I got a soundbite or two we've been holding on to. Back in a flash, ESPN 1000.